0: Hello all sentient beings and welcome to the transmissions podcast where we talk about all news toys and comics related to the transformers! On this episode of transmissions we'll talk with one of idw's amazing colorists josh perez We have some toy announcements including six gun figures from metroplex and we'll review transformers robots in disguise issue 22 we have all this and so very much more on this very special episode of Transmissions.
1: Welcome to Transmissions, the perfect podcast for Quintesson judges and all their little Sharkticons. I'm your host Charles, aka Big C, and I'm joined by the excellent Transmissions team: Yusuf, better known as Yoshi, Yo; Jeremy, aka Yakko, Howdy; and Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast.
2: Hey everybody, how's it going? Let's talk Transformers. Alright,
1: and today we welcome a very special guest to Transmissions. He's an artist who's been doing colors on Transformers Comics for IDW for a long time now. And he's also the regular colorist on IDW's Transformers Robots in Disguise ongoing series. We're proud to present
3: Mr. Josh Perez. Hi everyone, smile and wink. (laughs) Hey! hey. Hey. This is going to be such a smooth interview. (laughs) 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 Nothing will go wrong (laughs) as flames build behind everyone.
1: (laughs) Josh, uh, thanks so much for coming on and talking to us. It is definitely my pleasure. All right, so uh, we're going to start off with an interview, and then Josh has graciously decided to stick stick around for the rest of the podcast, so we're very happy to have him. So let's just start at the beginning. So was there a certain point in your life that you can look back on and say, that was the point I became an artist? um no well
3: i don't think there was any specific point but um i certainly uh i have a a twin brother uh who we both kind of uh were each other's inspirations and uh he would i guess like he was uh further in his art game than i was and i i don't know where the point was specifically but i i kind of wanted to be there up there with him because he was getting better a lot faster than i was because i i being lazy and just drawing the same image over and over again, but he was experimenting, and that's that's kind of what kicked it off for me okay so so what is your brother what's he's working on now uh he he's not well he he draws still but he uh he actually he doesn't work for uh comics or anything he works for well yeah he doesn't work for comics, but he works for the walt disney corporation uh not as an artist or anything it was a job we both shared uh for a while and now he he's still he's still working there
1: oh wow yeah. So, how did you break into the comics industry?
3: Uh, the story I was told, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I, whether it's true or not, it's the one I'm I'm sticking to. Well, uh, Dreamwave was doing the more than meets the eye books. They had a lot of artwork that they needed colored, uh, because they, there was so much that needed to be done in such a small amount of time. So, uh, I, I must, uh, uh, there was an art colorist named Espen Grintager and me and him, I, I probably killed that last name, but Espen was a regular on, uh, Dreamwave books for a while, um. But we used to kind of pal around on the, the, uh, TFW forums. And, uh, he, he managed to break into Dreamwave and he needed help with these profile books. And I'm, I'm assuming the story, again, the story I'm told was that they were asking, Hey, do you have any, do you know anyone we could, uh, we can ask to help us out? And he threw my name in there and they liked my stuff and they let me color, uh, sequentials. And that's kind of where it all started. Cool. So that, so that was your first paid work on the More Than Meets yeah. the Eye profile books? Um, it was my, the, my first works were Jazz and the Terracons and Abominus, which, uh, I, I just have to say, it makes me kind of giddy in the, the, the box set that came out for the, um, for the Transformers, uh, uh Generation 1 cartoon. Uh, Disc 7 has Will on it, and issue 7 of More Than Meets the Eye was the one with, uh, that was my, my first paid work. Uh, and Will was the first Transformer I colored. So it's just kind of funny how that worked out that uh, disc 7 has Wheeljack on it and it made me just, it, it was one of those kind of happy sad moments.
1: <laughs> wow. So if, if anybody has that box set, you know, they should take it to a con and have you sign that disc then.
3: Oh, I, it will destroy their, their, my signature has been, I've heard myths that it, the book will, go, will erupt into flames and <laughs> there are tales of 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 people asking me to sign uh, prints I've done for them, and then the next day, whatever is on the print has turned into a, a bleak, sad version of itself. <laughs> or a picture of me just eating way too much pizza. Either way, just horrible, <laughs> scary stuff. Ooh, spooky Halloween. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> it's unfortunate this episode will go up after Halloween, but we can still be scary. <laughs> Ooh.
3: Well, that's the scariest part, is you think it's gonna scare you on Halloween, but instead it's uh, it's after Halloween and that's the <laughs> scariest. Cause that's when you know it's for real. <laughs> right. It's not just trying, it's not just trying to mess with you. So how did you get into coloring in general? Um, it was, uh, it started off with a program called PaintShop Pro. It was a-, a free program to, to color with. Uh, and I was just kind of using that. And then I was introduced, uh, to, I think it was Photoshop 5. And I spent more time trying to learn the program um, by coloring on it than I did drawing on it, because it was a lot easier for me to understand what it could do through coloring. And as I got better with it, um, I, like, I still consider myself a decent artist, but as I played with it more, I realized that uh, what I did with colors was, um, was... I was getting better at that than I was at actual art. And, uh, getting paid for it doesn't, uh, well, it helps. I don't want to say it doesn't help, but, uh, getting paid for it helps too. Uh, I spent more time doing that as a, uh, doing that as, I guess, my primary, my primary payment methods. Not payment methods, that's dumb. That was a dumb thing I said. And that was, (laughs) I hate that you guys let me say it. (laughs) Skype call ends. No, that's pretty much it. I I just, I used it more. (laughs) Flips the table. Puts on prowl hat. Um. That's pretty much it. Uh, since it's something I get paid for, um, I kind—I just pursued getting better at it uh, than I did anything else. Awesome. So, what's your current setup uh, for doing coloring? What's your favorite uh, software and hardware? Um, I use a—I use a very uh, a, a cheap bamboo pen and touch. It's about the size of a mouse pad. It's not big. Um, one day I'll get a Cintiq, Josh. One day. <laughs> um, uh, that, and I use a uh, Photoshop. Uh, I use CS5. Um, and it's uh. It's there, there are other things, uh, there's like that new cloud service out, but I, I just, I prefer to use, uh, CS5 since I, when you put money into something, you kind of don't want to have to do a, a subscription kind of thing. So it's just, uh, it's,
4: it's,
1: just
3: that.
4: it's not cheap. So you've invested a lot.
3: Oh, oh, yeah.
1: So, uh, beyond your, your current setup, have you done any experimenting with the Microsoft Surface? We've heard that that might be something as a that might be useful as a as an artist or coloring tool. Uh
3: I actually didn't even I haven't I didn't know about the surface until uh my friend Jessica was talking about it and then I looked it up and a lot it turns out yeah a lot of a lot of artists seem to like uh like it as a uh I don't want to say an alternative to a, a tablet but as a companion kind of like how Wacom has their new uh the tablet companion Cintiq thing. Mhm. Um it's definitely, uh, I haven't looked at the price, but I'll assume it's cheaper than a Cintiq, or a Cintiq Companion specifically. Um, I've never gotten to use one. I'd have to use one before I figure out uh, if it's something that would be for me, but I hear positive things about it.
4: Yeah, I think I've heard the the Pro is better and it has the actual Wacom technology in it.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I, I've i only heard the, uh, the Wacom technology inside it. So... Uh... Is there a writer that is just easier to work with or harder to work with? Uh, uh, no. Uh, it, it kind of, a, I guess, this feels like a cop out answer, but no. Almost every writer I've worked with has been uh, fun and unique in their own way. It's kind of like uh, different types of food, I guess. They're all different, but they're all delicious.
1: <laughs> so, if you got the chance, uh, what comic uh, it could be Transformers or something else would would you you know what would be your dream
3: job to color or draw? Um. Personally, um, I'm I'm okay with Transformers. I'm okay with staying with Transformers. Um, I would like to work on all my other nerdy little interests. I'd like to touch fields with them. I'd love to do uh, a Power Ranger comic. I'd color it. I wouldn't. I wouldn't draw it. Um, I'd like to do. uh I'd like to do a horror a horror comic. Um, I wouldn't, I can't name one specifically, but something that's uh, psychologically, uh, that goes after you psychologically, not like a blood and gore kind of thing, though I would love to do a zombie comic if I was given the chance, but um, I don't know, I'm pretty happy with Transformers, well with, with coloring them anyways, it's pretty much the biggest nerdy part of me, so um, I would just like to do more Transformer stuff, more uh, crossover events like uh, Dark Cybertron would be fantastic.
2: More My Little Pony? <laughs>
3: You know, if, if, if I was given a My Little Pony job, I'd do it. Um, I'd try to stay away from My Little Pony, but I'd do it. <laughs> I don't, I don't have any hate for it. I no, mean, there's nothing wrong with I'm, it at all. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. But I would, I'd do anything. I'd do anything. I think, I think, uh, things like that, My Little Pony, um, the, the Cartoon Network, uh, books they have out, um, would give me a chance to be more playful with color. And I think that would be fun. Definitely wouldn't turn it down. Especially if it paid.
1: So they just recently announced the X-Files
3: crossover that IDW is doing next year. Are you involved with that at all? Uh, Not that I know of, no. But um, I'm interested in it. I'm very interested to see how they're going to tie in these universes, especially since, uh, I guess, I I think, I I don't know anything about it, but I'm assuming it's going to all be one continuous story and it's not going to be, like, different out-of-continuity books. So a world where you have, like, Ninja Turtles and Transformers in the same like, realm of reality is always going to be interesting to me. Yeah, and
1: I'm really curious how how they're going to handle that. All right, uh, so just as a, as a person in the comics industry, what's your opinion on uh, digital versus physical comics?
3: Um, are we talking sales, or are we just talking having? Uh, both. Oh, um. well on the on the sale well, I like well, first off I like um I do I like digital comics but I do prefer physical uh I like to have a, a, there's something about having a library that you can grab and know that if the power goes out you can still like read and enjoy that's uh, a lot of fun but um I do like digital especially um in terms of sales but um digital it's just easier you don't have to worry about uh it taking up a lot of space in a small like a small amount of space um physically um but on On the sales aspect, it allows you to experiment a lot more because your costs are different. You're not spending print costs or anything like that right. Um I assume that you're that that making a digital comic is cheaper than printing a physical one. so you can take more chances you can do uh you can tell stories that might not sell well uh physically, but you know someone going through like an iTunes store or uh, iBooks or you know something. Uh, they'll come across something that sparks their interest, and they'll probably impulse buy it. And then they'll, you know, they might like it and and be a future uh customer.
1: Mm-hmm. So, where do you see the comics industry going in in five to ten years? Do you think that digital prices will come down compared to the physical
3: prices? Uh, I think digital prices will probably stay where they are. Um, only because, uh, if the digital prices go down, then it's going, then we'll see it starting to damage the physical sales of, uh, comics. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't know. i i I'd, I'd say, I'd say we'll probably be exactly where we, are, where we are now, but we'll probably see a lot more books, um, available digital. Um, uh, probably a lot more, um, I'd say we'll probably see a lot more events, um, with, uh, with digital books like, um, We'll probably see a, a digital book released before um, the physical copy to try and get those sales. Uh, probably kind of like what they did
4: lines. with Monstrosity.
3: Yeah, yeah. Um, having, I'd, I'd say we'll see a lot more books um, done like that, where we get the digital, like digital issues individually and then the collected uh, trade, but probably a lot more than we see now.
1: What do you, have you uh, seen some of the stuff that Madefire is doing with their motion comics? Where, where do you think that fits into the puzzle?
3: Motion comics are kind of weird for me because I feel like they have to be done right, like 100% right for me personally to enjoy them. And there's, there's something about motion comics that feel a little stale um, that I don't personally enjoy. But um, I haven't really seen any of, uh, of uh, the motion comics that you're talking about. But I remember there being a, like a big announcement about it and uh, I'm kind of tempted to check them out. But again, I, I've never had a good, a good experience with motion comics where I felt that it was enjoyable.
1: Okay. And uh lastly, so what do you think about the the whole piracy issue? So, you know, there's a lot of comics floating out there, you know, without that you can get through a uh, BitTorrent or other other means. So, what do you think what do you think about piracy in relationship to the rest of the industry and how do you do you think it hurts or helps or in general what do you think?
3: It's definitely a mixed bag. Um me personally, um I I I want people to put their money into a book if they like it. Um I understand there's a lot of risks, especially with uh i wouldn't say comic books uh, have increased drastically in price, but I understand that sometimes it's hard to uh to portion out that money or even in some cases I know of people who just their comic book stores is just they don't have access to a comic book store period or their comic book store doesn't carry uh the the books they're after but personally i think um uh, I don't know i i've known i've known of um of torrents to, I wouldn't say comics specifically, but I know, uh, I know that they've helped, uh, with sales of just anything in the music industry. Uh, I wouldn't say the movie or the film, but you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to of this topic, uh, they tend to, uh, they torrent the individual issues and then they'll buy the trade paperback. Um, and to me, I feel like personally, so long as you end up putting your money, uh, into the franchise, cause that's, that's your vote. You know, comic companies, when a book uh, is doing well financially, that's a sign that they need to keep up with this book. Right. And if everyone's just downloading this stuff and they're not paying for it, that's pretty much, you know, the comic companies don't see this as, oh, people are enjoying the books, they're just not buying them. They see it as, oh, people are not enjoying the books, we need to pull the plug. Right. Um, so I personally feel like if you, if you, uh, I don't know, I, I feel like you should buy the books, Uh. but I, I understand people want to, they want to, test the waters. they want to dip their feet in um and they they'll download the book uh, and if they like it they'll go out and buy it right away um if they don't wait for paperbacks i think that's probably the better alternative if you have to pirate it buy it as soon as possible the individual issue because uh Uh, the individual issue sales are just as important as those trade paperback sales. Mm -hmm. Um, My, my overall message is I think that you should just, I think I wish people would just buy it, but I understand everyone's circumstances are different and I don't want to be that guy that says, if you do it, you're dead to me.
1: (laughs) Oh, I think that's, that's a fair and reasonable answer.
3: (laughs) It's a very, it's a very wishy-washy Charlie (laughs) Brown answer.
1: Okay. So uh, switching a little bit from the consumer side to the creator side. So, uh, we recently in episode 7 of our podcast we talked about uh, a situation between uh, don figueroa and hasbro uh, i don't know if you if you heard about this mm-hmm. where, uh, where he had a, a megatron design the the stealth bomber megatron design that he did for idw and that got turned into a figure uh, by hasbro and uh, he was a little bit upset that they didn't really credit him or or you know include him in the process and you know we were we kind of saw there were there were things on both sides that we thought uh could have been done differently but what's your opinion on that situation
3: i definitely think that um i i wouldn't say credit because i don't think anyone saw that and well i'm speaking from a comic book fan perspective mm-hmm. i don't think anyone saw that design and thought it was a hasbro original everyone knew it was Dawn's, uh stealth bomber design um i can understand why he's frustrated and i i can i can sympathize with him um all right I can sympathize with him, but the industry we work in, um, we are work for hire. Mm -hmm. Anything I do for IDW, especially since this is a book that is, uh, a book that's a franchise from Hasbro, anything I do for IDW is up for, it's fair game for Hasbro to use however they need to, to, uh, for the franchise, because this is a book connected to a franchise. Um, in Don's case, um, he did give, he might not feel like he did, but he did give IDW the go ahead um to use his character when he decided to redesign him for free um according to what he said he redesigned him for free because he didn't like the original design and that's fair i think that was really kind of him to do it but um in doing so he let them use it um he redesigned it for them for a cover and when they hit print it was pretty much i'm sure they paid him for that and the moment they paid him for that it was out of his hands and it went into hasbro's Mm -hmm. and um I can understand his frustration, but I, I really feel like, um, given the situation, that it really was something uh it's something that I try to um a lot of people who have who have spoken to me about this particular issue um if you're going to be in the comic industry and if you're going to work on a on a title that's not your own original title, you have to expect that everything you draw will become property of the company that you are drawing it for and It doesn't sound like a fun thing and it sounds frustrating for a lot of people who want to retain the rights to characters they design. but the moment these go in print, they're out of your hands, and they now belong to uh Hasbro oh well, in this case it's Hasbro or i d w um uh, i I would if I, if I made a design and, and, and IDW, yeah, IDW, but Hasbro made a toy of it, I would personally just be excited, um, that a design I made, uh, got in. But then that's me. I'm not an artist. I would be excited for completely different purposes. Um. Don, I'm sure he's, I know he's, we all know he's worked with Hasbro personally. Right. I think this is more of a personal issue with him than it is a professional one. And that's why it probably irritates him more than it does us mm-hmm. uh, because he's worked with the company. Um He probably just feels, I, I know he feels maybe a little betrayed, but all I can do is shrug and say, dude, you know, we're work for hire. We're freelance. Every, what you draw for Transformers, you can't expect to keep that. It's for Transformers.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of came to the same conclusion, but I think also it seemed like there was a kind of a management shakeup on Hasbro's end. So maybe like the people he was dealing with before kind of got switched out and in the process of things shuffling around. Oh yeah. It was kind of lost that, you know, he had the, you know, he had done the original design and they should have, you know, come back to him or, or, you know, maybe they, he tried to pitch something, but the guy he was pitching it to actually le- ended up leaving Hasbro. So that didn't, that like, you know, somewhere the continuity was broken. So that's probably, you know, the source of the, you know, the frustration there, I think.
3: I wouldn't put it past that being the case either. I would, I would 100% assume that could, when, when they had a lot of switch over at Hasbro, that a lot of stuff kind of got moved around in the process. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe these, the, the new team out there thought, oh, okay, we can use this design. This is a go. Right, uh, and you know meanwhile you know Don didn't want them to to go with uh with the design as a toy without you know at least giving him a heads up
1: right okay let's let's move on to some lighter topics <laughs> so
3: <laughs> so how did you first get into transformers um I don't know. I just, I just kind of always remember playing with them as a kid and uh, enjoying them. I, I want to say it was the cartoon for sure that probably got me in. Uh, I remember the cartoon more than any of the other uh, media for Transformers, including the toys. Um, ah, that's, uh, Bumblebee though. I will say that Bumblebee is the main reason I like Transformers because, uh, I was, I'm a short guy and I was always the short kid. <laughs> so, um, so I don't know like a short transformer a small tiny happy transformer uh was very he he resonated with me very well. So um I don't really remember when I first got into transformers but I do know Bumblebee is the reason I stayed with it. Mm-hmm. If I could have anything in life uh, I want a transformers character just subtly uh named my wife got uh got a character named after her in the transformer comics. Oh, really? Yeah what, um what in it? It, uh in Tales of the Fallen Bumblebee yeah. Uh Sam Sam's taking his friend on a double date with him and um uh forget uh Michaela and Michaela's friend Lindsay and Lindsay is based on my wife.
1: Oh wow. Cool. That's awesome.
3: That is awesome.
1: And so you mentioned the cartoons, so how did you get involved with the Transformers comics? Did you did you, you know,
3: start with all the Marvel issues? Yeah, well when I was a kid um I don't remember reading them consistently um only when I was in high school did I go back and, and get as many as I could and, and started reading them, the stories in full but when I was a kid I think uh I think the first issue I saw was uh the Intergalactic uh was it the Inter not I think I'm confusing the niche turtle title um but they had a a wrestling one with Road Handler and the Min- and the uh not not the the Micro Masters and I specifically remember that being my earliest the earliest book that I read fresh off the press that was one of the first ones I read. Oh, okay. And uh and it was um it was probably like a, a weird point for me to come into because uh when I, I stopped reading uh Transformer comics after a while and when I came back it was around the Matrix quest and the the price of life and those were so different in tone. Um but that, that was probably one of the first comics I read. And, uh, I, I just, I really, I really loved those Marvel books. I still do. I still do. But I really loved the Marvel books when I was a kid. They were so different from the cartoons in that they could actually, um, I guess they, they could have more serious, a more serious tone, but I wouldn't know that, how serious the tone would get until, um, after, uh, I had stopped reading them for a bit.
1: Yeah. I think the, the wrestling issue was right around where Bob Budiansky was get trying to get himself off the book he was getting burned out and then the matrix quest was right where uh Simon Furman you know took over and was and was you know running with it so i think you can you can probably see why there was such a marked difference in the in the tone there <laughs> oh definitely <laughs> so um uh, you've done you know you you said you got started uh, with uh, dreamwave and you've also done you know work through most of the idw uh, transformers comics run so is there any particular time in modern Transformers comics that stands out for you either, you know, for good reasons
3: or bad reasons? Um almost every experience I've done with Transformers has been a positive one. That sounds like again, that sounds like such a cop out answer, but it's true. Um, the, the best experiences I've had were, uh, working Raina Starscream because the entire team for Reina Starscream were, they were just, I mean, not that my, the team now isn't, but I mean, at the time it was like the, the most fun I had on, on the Transformers book. I got to work with, uh, Alex and I I really liked working with him. I still really love working with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but I got to work with Alex and, uh, Chris Mowry was the writer of that book and Mowry is, he's such an amazing, amazing guy. He's really fun. Um every, he tells his stories with uh especially for the movie for the movie universe. He he told some really amazing stories. Um and then uh I, I think I believe our editor was Denton on that. And I just uh I I loved I love talking to Denton. He has like this like southern accent. It's smooth like whiskey, it's great. <laughs> um but uh that was a good one. Uh what was it? Um it was one of the Energon books with DreamWave though. If if I had to have if I had to have a negative memory. Um, I think it was issue 24. Um, it was the one where it was, uh, Tidal Wave versus Ironhide. And, um, the, it wasn't a bad issue on Dreamwave then. It was just when I was working for Dreamwave, I was, uh, going to college and, uh, my, my exams, all of my, I think it was finals, um, all of my finals hit, um, at the time that my deadlines, cause I only had like six or seven or eight pages. We always, the, the books were always divided amongst the colorists. Um, I only had a few pages but back then a page would take me about eight or nine hours to do. Okay. And um it was a lot of things like, it was it was a lot of time back then to have to cram for an exam and then do this. And uh I, I had stayed up way too late. Uh not way too late, uh way too long. I think mean, it was up for maybe uh two and a half days with I think I had like two one or two hours in there of of a nap. Um, it got to a point where I was getting so tired, uh, I I, w- I couldn't pay attention to things, and I was like trying to drink coffee to stay up. And um, I was I thought the sh- I thought the salt was sugar, and Ooh. that was a, that was a horrible time. So it was a, the end, the end, the end. Result was just me throwing up for way too long. Um, but uh, I can't look at that issue. Every time I look at that issue, I feel nauseous because of it.
4: You taste the salt.
3: Oh God, I wish it was just the salt. Oh wow. <laughs> but but it was but they're all fun. All of them are are genuinely fun. I, I I love that um like for like the some of the movie books, like the ones that got packed in with some of the Target exclusive toys. Um I like getting to see toys and with this book you get to see some of the toys coming out uh early and it's it's always it's always really fun to see those.
1: Oh cool. So uh I I think uh, I already know the answer, but what's your favorite character
3: to draw or color? <laughs> Um well, Bumblebee, uh, first and foremost. But, um with every book, it changes. With, uh, when I was working John, I actually like to flat Ironhide. Um he, there are certain rhythms when, uh, when you color a character. There are certain rhythms to, uh, well, not rhythms. Some characters have a rhythm when you flat them. And it makes them fun with, uh, RID. Uh, the most fun characters I have, uh, rendering and flatting are Bumblebee, Ironhide, Starscream, and Metalhawk. Because all four of them have a certain rhythm that I flat them in. And it, it's always, after I, after like the first, uh, book or so, I didn't have to look at any more, uh, I didn't have to open up reference to see where the colors went. I just needed my reference to pull colors from. And that made them fun with, uh, getting to be on Dark Cybertron. I'm getting to touch the, the crew of the lost light and definitely I'm finding some of them are fun to, to color, but it's, it's, it's way out of my element. And I'm finding myself constantly having to look up references, um, so I'd say that Lost Light are not on my, uh, on my favorites list, but, I mean, some of them are, but I'm afraid to say who they are just in case, uh, people don't know what's up with some characters.
1: Okay, yeah, we we definitely want to avoid, uh, any major spoilers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, for, forgive my
3: ignorance, but can you explain, uh, the term flatting, what that means? Oh, yes, um, when when you flat a character, all you're doing is uh, you're laying the basic colors before uh, you put down your shading or your highlights or your special effects. So it would just be like, you know, prime is red, blue, silver, okay. and all that other stuff. And that's that's what flatting is, is just laying in those basic colors.
1: Okay. So how much time do you usually have to work on a typical uh, R.I.D. issue?
3: Um... Almost all the R I D issues I've had, had have had really good deadlines. They've been very um I'd say like three three to three weeks to a month. Um, none of them have felt particularly like I've had no time to do. Um though I will say through uh no fault of well, it's all my own fault. I was just trying to figure out how to phrase that. But uh through my own fault an issue will take up uh a little longer if I let things get in the way more than they should.
1: So, th- does it usually take you that three weeks to a month to finish it? it is, if, or is that just the deadline you're given?
3: It's usually just the deadline. Um, with, uh, with Robots in Disguise issues, uh, I'll definitely say proudly um the later issues of rid um i i was doing really good at meeting my deadlines and and getting them in fast but the early issues had a lot of stuff going on right uh, i was i was not managing my time the way i should have been and i i definitely think that uh, carlos and john barber were way too uh patient with me um i do appreciate it though um, I think a lot of them understood the circumstances, but, you know, editors have to be editors. They have to, we have to get books in on time, and they were really good at getting me to get off my ass and get things in when they were getting late.
1: And uh you mentioned uh, Alex Milne and uh, how you've worked with him in the past, and yeah, it seems like uh you've been regularly paired with him on a lot of Transformers comics. So uh why was that not the case for R.I.D. and More Than Meets the Eye? So it seems like they split you up a little bit.
3: Um with uh when RID when I was told um that that uh there was going to be uh two different ongoings um I was told that they uh that uh, that they were doing RID they 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 told me what it was about personally um the first thing I jumped at was bumblebees going to be in this book and that's what drew me to RID I didn't um I knew that Griffith was going to be on it but um at the at the moment I wasn't told that uh who was going to be on the other book I was just told that there were two books. Mm-hmm. Um, so I jumped on RID because I figured, you know, oh, okay, this is going to be the Bumblebee book. So let me jump on that. Um, I think if I knew Alex was going to be on, uh, more than DI, I probably would still be on RID, uh, specifically because of Bumblebee. Um, uh, but I, I, I certainly would love to work with Alex again. I don't, I, not that I hate Griffith. I, I should clear. I don't want to make it. I don't want people to listen to this and go, Oh, Perez. <laughs> Um, no, I love working with Griffith. He's, he's a very, very fun person to work with, but, but I do, I do like working with Alex. We have a certain rhythm, uh, together when we work. Um, of all the people I work with, we keep in, uh, communication the most, um, to the point where we're, we're all like, no matter what we're doing, we're probably talking to each other on Skype. So, um, I'd like to work with him again because it it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more fun, uh, to work with, uh, with him because he's up usually almost all the time like I am, but, uh, I don't know. I, I, I completely wandered off that question. <laughs> um, no, I, I'm, I'm working with, with, uh, the reason why we weren't paired up was because they offered me uh, a book that I saw as the Bumblebee book and I jumped at it and I just had a lot of fun working with Griffith too. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I At one point, um, this is before, I think this is way before uh, the book uh, was actually started. Uh, I think they, I, I remember being asked if I wanted to be on um, Mortar Meets the Eye as well, like doing both books simultaneously. Um, and I said no, because I know for a fact that deadline is never going to be met if I'm on it at the same time. Um, I, I don't think I was ever offered a chance to switch. I think if I did, if it was early on in the game, I probably would have switched just to work with Alex. Um But I'm glad I didn't because I'm getting to work with a lot of really good Griffith art and a lot of good, uh, barber stories. Cool. So, uh. Way long to answer. I'm so sorry.
1: (laughs) No, we'll, we'll do a three hour podcast for you, Josh. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I know, uh, we don't want to give away any spoilers, but is there anything you can tell us about Dark Cybertron since you, it it sounds like you've been coloring that a lot
3: these days. Yeah, I'm coloring it as we speak. Um, (laughs) It's, it's a lot of, I can't, there's so much I want to say, but I can't. Um, I will say it's a lot of fun. It's very big. Um, almost to a, and I say this lovingly, almost to a point of frustration when you open up a page and you see that there's like every character that's ever existed in the Transformers (laughs) universe on one page. Not to say this is an actual page, but this is how they all feel sometimes. Um, you'll open a page and you'll see like, oh, okay, I get to do, I get to do this page with every character ever envisioned on one page, and then you just kind of, I don't know, curl up into a ball under the desk <laughs> knowing, damn well, this is going to take up more time than you want. But it's a lot of fun, it really is. I've had a lot of fun working on it. Um, oh, A lot of the pages I get, um, I think that the story's gotten to a really exciting point and then I get a new script or I get a new page and it's completely better than the one before it. And I really, I really hope that, that, um, I know fans will love it, but I hope fans love it still because it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of love going into this book and a lot of thought going into this book. It's more than just a, uh, a cross promotional item. There is a lot of care and effort being put into these books to make sure that the stories are good and that, uh, that not, that it won't just pick up a casual fan buying a toy, but it'll keep the regular fans engrossed in the story going on as well, which is not easy for, uh, Barber and, uh, and James because, uh, because these books are being packaged, we have to work on, uh, the books, uh, pretty much non-stop, and I, I'm sure it can't be fun for, uh, for them to have to keep cranking out stories as fast as they can, but Everything is nice and tight and cohesive, and it's, it's, it's just been great.
2: Can you tell us what book you're working on right now? Like, not, nothing to do with the story, just where, where you are?
3: Um, I'd say, well, we're, we're, we're definitely, um, we definitely passed the, uh, two thirds mark of the book. Um, but it's, and, and this is, it's, it's almost where, cause the beginning, the, the first, the first two thirds. Okay. Uh, When I say, I say the first two thirds, like there's another set of two thirds, but, um, no, the first, the first chunk of the book, um, has been just craziness and the, now this chunk of the book is like, is like showing the previous craziness that this is actually the craziness. Cool. Did they keep you on the, uh, RAD titles or did they move you to like other stuff? Um, I've been on, I've just been on this. Um, I'm assuming it's because if I was doing this and RID, it would, uh, uh the deadlines for Dark Cybertron are, are not very, I don't want to say they're not forgiven, forgiving like it's hell, but there, there is a faster pace that we need to work on these books. Right. And if, if I was on RID as well, I think that, uh, I know for a fact, maybe, maybe they just want to make sure I don't die but i know for a fact that the books would be turned in late that they the books wouldn't even like rid would be constantly late if i was on that and this so Well, i, ju- like I just disparate. meant the i just meant the rid dark cybertron oh course. oh the oh um actually i'm on uh, with the exception of what livio's working on i'm on i'm on all the other stuff for dark cybertron um, oh, okay they they do there is another colorist that is helping out um for some of the issues i won't say which ones but uh, for the most part i'm pretty much on the full story
1: cool yeah awesome so we have a complete consistency of, uh, coloring throughout the whole series then.
3: Oh yeah, I think, I think that was pretty much what they, why they wanted that is that way the books would, uh, remain consistent and it wasn't constantly pulling people out. Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, how big of a shakeup do you think this will be for the Transformers universe and for the two current ongoing series?
3: Ah, oh, man, very, very, I, it, this, there's a lot of stuff happening that is, one, there's stuff I've been really waiting for that's happening in these books right now. And it makes me really excited because it's, it's things I didn't think would ever happen in the universe for, if, if anything, not, not now. I thought it would take a lot longer. Um, so a lot of the events in this will, ah, I, I want to say it'll shake things up. A part of me wants to be like, it'll shake things up to the edge. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, there's, there's gonna, it's gonna change a lot. Um, at the same time, though, at the same time, I, I feel confident that, um, whatever the future holds, uh, for these books, I don't, I don't know. I don't ask. Um, I don't know if it'll go straight back into More Than meets the eye and RID after this, or if the story, you know, if the titles will change, or if we'll just have the one or what. Um, I don't know what the future is for those books, but assuming, assuming that after this we're going, we're going straight back to RID and straight back to More Than meets the eye. Um, despite that everything will change, uh, the events of everything, uh, the crew of The Lost Light, the crew that's, that's on Cybertron, I think we can comfortably go back to the stories that were being told without feeling like too much was sacrificed for the sake of Dark Cybertron.
1: Okay. Yeah. And I, I think, uh, both John Barber and James Roberts have confirmed that the two series will continue after oh, Dark okay. Cybertron. So.
3: That's uh, good to hear because I, I yeah. completely
4: didn't know that. And Roberts emphasized that it is not any kind of a reboot at all.
3: Yeah, it, it really isn't. It really isn't. If it was, they're certainly not doing reboots, right? Which is a good thing. <laughs>
4: I think we've had enough reboots in the Transformers universe. No,
3: that's that's exactly where I was going. That's it, because I feel I feel like if if we did this and we went from this to from Dark Cybertron to a completely new series, I wouldn't blame fans for just giving it up because it's it's way too much, way too many changes in a small amount of time.
0: Yeah. Does IDW give you a bunch of free shit? Do you like get copies uh... of comics and books and stuff that?
3: Um yes and no. Um there there have been times where I've I've sent them an email and said, "Hey, can I get this?" and I've gotten it, but then there are times where cuz normally the um normally whatever I work on I get for free, they'll just send them send me uh comp issues. But um I don't know if it's because of uh because whatever, like I don't know if things are getting busy, but I'm not seeing my comp issues as often as I would or if at all. Um I recently got the I got the recent volume of uh, RID that came out the one uh, with the uh, up to issue 16 I believe it is.
1: So do you have any plans to attend any of the cons next year so Botcon TFcon or Auto Assembly?
3: Um I would love to do auto assembly but that's completely um unless unless it's something I'm not paying for out of pocket it's something I just completely can't do but I am going to try and do uh, Botcon it's going to be the 30th anniversary for Transformers and if I didn't do Botcon on at least the 30th anniversary I'd probably end up punching myself in the face <laughs> with a glove made of bumblebees <laughs> <laughs> Um I I'm, I'm going to try to do um I can't say TFCon for sure, because uh, me and Alex are planning to do uh, Fan Expo in August, I think it is next year, and that convention looks to be pretty pricey. Um, So I don't know, I'm going to aim to attempt TFCon, because it it really, I love BotCon, but TFCon is, that's the convention I go to when I need to relax, and I want to sell things, but I also want to have a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. TFCon is fun. I'm really hoping that TFCon is a thing I can do, because I'll be sad if I have to miss it. It's, it's... Ah, man, I don't want to say it's the best Transformers convention and then, like, go to BotCon and everyone's mad at me for saying BotCon isn't as fun, but it's kind of true. BotCon's great. I go to BotCon because I know I, I know I can sell there, you know? Like, I do conventions mostly because, um... It's just, it's fun to go and enjoy and celebrate Transformers with with uh, a bunch of fans, but at the same time... um. It's good to supplement your income at these conventions and, you know, do some con sketches, do, uh, sell some prints, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's one of the few times I can sell myself as an artist and not as a colorist. And, um, BotCon's really great for that. I can go to BotCon and I know all my costs are covered. But I don't ever go to TFCon, uh, asking myself, will my, will my flight, will my, uh, will my expenses, will everything be paid off here? Because TFCon's the con I go to. To have fun and accidentally sell things. And get shit-faced.
5: <laughs> oh, God.
3: I, I, I have never I have never been uh, drunk before in my life, and the first time, I, I, I've always reached close, and I always stopped right before, and I got smashed at TFCon, Con. it was worth it. It was so worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: And what other con do you go to that there's a water slide? Oh,
3: God. None. Come on! Like, un- unless there's a water slide Transformers convention. None. <laughs> none. <laughs> Oh god, that sounds like so much fun though, a Transformers water slide.
4: <laughs> it would be hell for the cosplayers though. And it'd be a different unless... water
3: slide every time. It just changes every time. Oh, there you go. I was going to say it'd be hell for cosplayers unless you cosplay uh baiting suit styled Transformers. Like this is Optimus Prime if he was a human beach goer.
4: <laughs> I'm just picturing someone in a big like cardboard suit going into the water and it just disintegrates. <laughs>
3: All that time. <laughs>
1: well, if you come back to TFCon uh, next year, uh, Daryl can get you that beer he owes you for the sketch you did for him this year. <laughs>
3: I, will, yeah. I, I will never turn down a free beer at TFCon, and that's what messed me up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, you've done uh, a bunch of coloring
1: for the, some of the you know movie tie-in comics for IDW. So what's mm-hmm. your opinion on the live-action movies?
3: Ah, uh, who. Someone, someone said it, I forget where it was, I read this somewhere, Um, someone described them in a manner that I think describes how I feel about them perfectly, and that they're fertilizer. Um, And I'm not, I don't mean that as a a euphemism for the bullshit or anything like that, but I mean, like, seriously, I think they're fertilizer, they're, they're kind of smelly, no one really wants to touch them, but they kind of help bring really good crops uh, the TF movies are great for what they are. Uh, there's are blockbusters. I don't think, I don't think they're trying to be intelligent and that's part of the problem with them, but you watch them, you enjoy them for what they are, but the money that, that you get from them goes straight into the franchise and we get all kinds of fun stuff from them. Um, I wouldn't say they're a necessary evil because I don't think the movies are evil. But I will say that they are a necessity. The movies have reached a point where Hasbro really needs them to pull in um, you know, new new toy buyers, new comic buyers, new people to the franchise period. They're people who love the brand, but their first entry was the first movie that came out. And I will never I, I can never frown upon something that's good for the for this franchise um on a whole. But but I, I like the movies but they're com they're they're complete crap sometimes. <laughs> They do amazing things, they do amazing things, but then Revenge of the Fallen happens, and yeah. <laughs> you're like, I love transform, uh, I don't know, I don't know. It's just, they're, they're where did good. this
4: Optimus Prime come from? I,
3: I Devastator don't like Prime. balls. Oh, you guys are just, oh, you're, you're making me want to change my answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, they—they the movies are a necessity, and I can enjoy them for what they are. But at the in the end, I, I want more from them. But if I don't get more from them, I don't mind because what they give us in the end ultimately is more.
1: Yeah. So if you could change anything about those movies, what would it be?
3: Oh God, it's, it's everything. A <laughs> um. It, well, first the obvious thing would be the writing. Um, I don't care that we that we have a spotlight on humans. Um, G1 had humans in it. Um, a lot of humans in it, and you know, you you had moments where Spike would bring the obvious Decepticon cassette player into the baits, You know, the big Decepticon sigil on the fucking like boombox <laughs> didn't give it away. But I mean, you you had humans in 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 the in the original Transformers, and I'm fine with having a human focus so long as so long as you give equal uh equal time and focus to the Transformers themselves. And I think that's that's the number one thing I would change is the stories don't give any character to any of the Transformers. I mean, we've seen Prime go from, you know, murderous Autobot to completely murderous Autobot. Um, And B's just gone from the guy that didn't talk to, oh wait, I guess he talked to, oh wait, no, he doesn't talk. Um, There's been zero character. If anything, Megatron actually comes across more as a hero in the movies than any of the Autobots do. Because every time you see him, he's never talking about just purely death. He's always talking about his motivation of saving Cybertron. He's only wanting to help his people. And it doesn't ever really come across as like, oh man, this guy is, this guy is just no good. Um, I'd also like to change the Decepticons. They're all just this silver mess. And it yeah. would be nice if there could be more color into them. Uh But that goes hand-in-hand hand with making them actual characters with making them rememberable characters.
6: Yeah.
4: I think right now they're seen as just props.
3: Pretty much. Pretty much. Um And that's all they're treated as, too. Uh, you see them on screen, they blow up, and then you just don't care anymore. You just move on. And that's how it feels like they're written. Um And it's frustrating. But th- that's... I, also, I... Um, This might sound weird, like, I don't want to sound like a prude or anything, but I don't, when I'm watching Transformers, I don't need you to sell sex to me. I don't want to have sex sold to me while I'm watching Transformers. It feels weird. It feels like you're talking to a friend who just suddenly just starts shirking himself off in the middle of a (laughs) conversation, and you're just staring at him like, can you put it up? Does this need to happen right now? (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's how I feel with with the series, because I'll watch it and like, you know, oh this is a fun movie. And then all of a sudden, some girl's ass is thrown in my face. And I can't help but sit here and go, why does this ass need to be in my face? What part of the story is telling me this is a necessity? And it just, it feels awkward for me to watch a movie. And then suddenly, especially like a movie that's tied in with a kid's franchise. It just feels weird to just all of a sudden, now you have an ass in your face. I don't know. It's trying to be something. It, they need to realize that giant fighting robots sell it enough. That's all you need. It's just giant fighting robots.
4: But they should sure have seen that from Pacific yeah, Rim. Sure. Oh yeah. god,
3: I would love it if uh, Guillermo <laughs> del Toro would do just be involved with the Transformers franchise. Now, that was such a good move.
1: Yeah. All right. So, just moving on to uh, something that it's kind of puzzled me for a while. Like I, I see you on. On Twitter and on uh, Tumblr and uh, your, you know, everywhere else, and you go by the nickname Die Mooch. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering where that came from. In in my mind, it pick I, I picture like you're, you know, you're maybe in kindergarten class with all your other friends painting, and you're like stealing all the paints from
3: everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> I told you you needed to get those cameras out, and you didn't <laughs> listen to me. Um, no, actually, it's it's um uh, back in high school. Back in high school, I had this. Really big fondness of monkeys. I still do. I love monkeys. And, um, this is such an odd way to start this, I'm sure. Um, and, uh, my, my, my parents, when they know I like something, they, they, they get me everything they can of it, you know, um, especially now that all the kids are grown up, because I come from a big family and now everyone, everyone has their own jobs and, you know, it's not as much of a stress on Christmas. So, um, they knew I liked monkeys and so they got me this little beanie baby monkey named Mooch. Um, it's a spider monkey, but to wrap him up, they put him in a hair dye box, and I'm sure by now you've pieced this together. Um, so when I, when I saw his name was Mooch and he was in the dye box, I just called, the monkey be- was named Die Mooch. and, um, this was like in the early part of the internet too, um, where you try and come up with a username and you have to put like an ugly 1986 or, you know, I'm Bumblebee7, and now you're the seventh Bumblebee, you're the seventh unoriginal Bumblebee out there. <laughs> And it was it was easier for me to use Daimooch because it was the it was the name that I knew I could go to um, easily. And uh very rarely did I find it was taken. Um so that was just I just used it as all my monikers because it was easier for me to just use that than anything else.
1: So wait you you found that at some point it was taken on some sites?
3: <laughs> yes, yes, I'm sure. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one that's... come. Well, you know, there might actually have been someone who grew up stealing all the paints as a kid. <laughs> and that was his... And now he's pissed because he's trying to go <laughs> on a DA and now he's dying with one. <laughs> he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. <laughs> so
1: do you have a, a convention story that stands out as a favorite? Like something that interesting that happened to you at a convention?
3: Um... Ah man I, I'd say the um there was a moment that I'm sure wasn't good for him but it was great for me um was meeting Dan Gilbazan at uh 2012 um that was that that was my uh that was probably one of the awkwardest times I've ever been around someone Cause I'm sitting there going, Dan, you're such a blah, blah, blah. And he's such a nice guy, I'm sure. I, mm. I, I hope I don't stand out as the annoying guy in his life, but if I did,
6: he <laughs> <you> remembers me.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, that, that, that was, uh, for BotCon, that was mine, easily. Uh, well, that and me and, uh, Derek Wyatt would walk around the place doing our Victor Caroli impersonations, mm-hmm. and that was fun. Um, but TF, oh god, so many. I have too many at TFCon. Too many good stories, uh, the recent one I've been to, I went to, it wasn't really part of the convention, but it was because of the convention. Uh, Alex, uh, Alex Milne took me and, uh, James Roberts and his now fiancé out to the CN Towers. Or CN Tower. I don't know why I play. Is it Towers or Tower?
2: There's only one.
3: Yeah, I, I don't know why I wanna, I wanna pluralize it, but he took us out to the CN Towers. He dropped a lot of money on it. Uh, he treated us out, and it was, it was a lot of fun. It was probably the most fun I've had eating, uh, since I came back to Disney. Um before that, I think it was at uh, TFCon two thousand and uh two thousand and twelve, uh I s the people I, I roomed with some of the guys that were part of the convention and uh Scott McNeil would come up and he would just drink with us in the hotel room and I got to get a couple of impersonations from him. Well not impersonations, but impressions. His, some of the characters he's been. I got some characters out of him and it made me feel like a child again. It was Oh man, but to sit here and tell TFCon stories, this convention, not convention, this podcast would last way longer than three hours and everyone would already be assigning death robots to my apartment to get me to shut up, or oops, the call ended,
1: did, and then all of us
3: signed off. Well, how did that happen?
1: So just for some of our younger listeners out there who may not know, Dan Gilvezan is the voice of the original Bumblebee on the original G1 cartoon. And, uh, he also did the voice of Spider-Man on Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends,
3: didn't he? It, yes, he did. And, and that's partially why I really like Dan Gilzan because, uh, well, that's why I still do because he, he was, him and, um, uh, Paul Robson or is it, uh, is it Paul? Robson? I think it's Rob, Rob Paulson. Paulson. Why? Well, I, I keep messing it up. Like, that. yeah, Rob Paulson. I keep saying Paul Robson and not Rob Paulson. And then it makes me sound like an idiot, but him, him and, uh, him and Rob are like, I'd say like the two voices that are associated most with my my childhood um Spider-Man and Bumblebee were were really big characters for me.
0: Have you read Dan's book?
3: Yes. Um uh who bought it for me? There was a, a one say um I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, uh Tiffany Lone Gamer, but um she's a really nice she's a really nice person and she had uh, gotten the book for me. And I read it, and it was a lot of. It's just a really, really fun book. I think he's coming out with another one too. I know he's got another one before it.
6: He
4: he also did an audio version of that book where he read it.
3: Oh, see now I got to buy it.
4: Yeah, it's unaudible.
3: Uh, It's gotta it's gotta be, uh, and this is just just to disconnect here for a moment. It's gotta be something, man, to to be able to say that you had voice acting sessions with Scatman Crothers and to and all the stories of him just performing for them, man. That's Oh, I'm so envious of
1: that. Yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, Tiffany, I think, is actually following us on Twitter. So, uh, shout out to Tiffany. Thanks for listening and continuing to listen. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so I, I'm actually not
3: familiar with this book, so I have to check this out. So, what was the title? It, it's, um, I think it's called Bumblebee it's, and Me
4: or something like that. Yeah, that's it.
3: It's it's um, the thing I like most about it, and I, I don't want to sound dumb and say I don't read I don't read them learning books much, but um, <laughs> because of because I have and this this is kind of a, a bullshit answer. Really, I could make time, but I find myself uh, appropriating my time to so many different things. I don't read a lot of books. Um, I want to. I used to read a lot of books, and now I don't remember what words is, <laughs> but. Um, I You're do just want to start more pictures. But, but it's one of the it's one of the few books that I've read recently that I've read multiple times and I've just I couldn't stop reading because it's I, I love voice actor stories. They're the best. Um I don't know. I'm just uh voice actor stories make me happy. I don't know I said uh, that sounded like I was gonna say they were terrible, but I'm just awful. It's a nice
4: it's a nice quick read too.
3: Yes, yes it is. It reads fast. Which is good for people like me who ain't got that much book learnings. <laughs> So, uh, do you still collect uh the Transformers toys? Yes, I do. Um but I, but I I don't really I don't touch the high-end stuff like I, I mean obviously I'm going to have to buy a Masterpiece Bumblebee and I do own an Alternative uh Bumblebee, but I don't really touch the high-end stuff because I feel I find the more pricier the toy is, the less playable they are. Um and of course, uh, I have to argue with people the difference of playable and posable. But um I don't really touch a lot of the higher-end stuff, but I buy a, I buy a lot of the, the stuff you'd find at Target or Walmart or Toys R Us, mm-hmm. which is Masterpiece. You <laughs> can buy them at <laughs> Toys R Us. That was the, this is all your listeners are going to be like, why are you talking to him? Everything he says contradicts the last <laughs> thing he says. <laughs>
1: so uh, we asked Bertram this question when he was on.
3: So who's the better Josh at IDW? Uh, um, he answered me, and I completely disagree. I think it's him because Bertram is... What I do is when, when I color a lot of my colors, I'm looking at real world stuff and going, oh, light works like this and the color is like this. And I apply that to my books, but Bertram steps out of that box. I mean, he pays attention to light sources and, and how it affects things, uh, in quote unquote reality, but he is very, very playful with his colors. He does a lot more creative things with his colors. I think he, um, it was a, uh, Jim Zub, I, I believe it was him, uh, recently announced that, uh, Bertram was on the crew for Samurai Jack. Yeah, and uh, the comics that are coming, yeah, from IDW. And I honestly think if there was ever a comic that was more appropriate for him, I I feel Samurai Jack was completely one of those books dying for him to color because his colors and his use of color are very much the, what what made the backgrounds and a lot of the cinematic elements of Samurai Jack very enjoyable.
1: Awesome. So both Joshes
3: are <laughs> they're they're each voting for the other one. So. <laughs> Now, if we're, if we're talking sexiest, then we'd both lose, and that would go immediately to John Paul Bobbitt. <laughs> All right, so uh do you have a favorite Transformers quote? Oh, God, they're both Bumblebee quotes. Um Yeah, the least likely can be the most dangerous is G1, but I love Shattered Glass Goldbugs. The least likely is always the most dangerous. <laughs> um I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for the Shattered Glass universe, and Shattered Glass Goldbug is easily one of my favorite characters there. But I just, I love that quote because that, that was, um, I never owned the Bumblebee toy, um, until Action Master B, um, when I was a kid, but I read his quote on, uh, it must have been the back of one of the toy boxes that a friend had, and I thought that was probably the best thing ever, because when you're a small kid, you feel like there's nothing you can really bring to the table, and when you read a quote like that, it's essentially saying, dude, when, that you're the person that no one suspects, that's what makes you the most, like, the most dangerous of everyone.
1: Right. Don't underestimate the little guys.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Especially, uh, well, no, you can underestimate me. Uh, anyone can take me out. Anyone. The more, the more handicapped you are, the more capable you are to take me out. <laughs> uh, according to Bertram, you have burrito powers, though. I do have burrito powers. If 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 I'm around, if I'm around food. I can use their powers to turn into them and then fly away um, <laughs> like bad, like a bad model in a Godzilla movie, just <laughs> on wires and stuff. You could totally see them just fly away into the cosmos.
6: <laughs>
3: that's my, that's actually my burrito powers. that gave them away. I just turn into a burrito and it just launch away like a lazy missile.
2: <laughs>
1: so what advice would you offer to someone who wants to get into your line of work?
3: Uh, definitely to keep at it. Um, it, it's something everyone says, but it's something that I feel is easily ignored to to keep at it. Um, a lot of people think that they're going to. Uh, like I got lucky, you know. I got into this business because of friends and and I'd say networking, quote unquote. But it's really friends helping me out and friends going, let's throw them in here. But um, a lot of people think that if they don't land their gig right now, that they'll never do it and they stop because you know. It, this is a very picky industry to try to hit any industry really but this one is picky um because you have so much incredible talent all fighting for the same job but it starts to bottleneck and you're you'll get your moment but you have to be persistent and when people don't get that moment when they don't get the instant gratification they're done and they leave um also something i didn't pay attention to um what you have to watch yourself try not to be an asshole uh when i first got into the industry um I was kind of like up there because I thought I was hot shit, but I really wasn't. I I like when I look at a lot of the stuff I did during Dreamwave era, it's awful, it's terrible. And um I don't know. You you gotta you gotta watch who you are, you gotta watch your attitude, you gotta make sure that you're not gonna be an asshole to other people. Um and, and that's something that's that's another thing too, is there are people out there who need to check their egos and they don't and then it makes, you know, people look at them like they're that guy on the bus that won't stop farting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we're we're going to wrap up. Uh, so if people want to buy copies of your work, uh, how can they do that?
3: Um, well, local comic book stores is, is the the first thing I can say. Check out your local comic book store. Um, you could also buy a lot of the stuff in trades at like Barnes & Noble and Hastings. Um, but also, I would like to take the second to plug uh, two other things. Uh, I, I work on another series called Bravo Man for uh, Namco, Bandai, and Shifty Lo. Um, at shiftylope.com, you can see a lot of the stuff, uh, a lot of the stuff I've been doing with Bravo Man, uh, color-wise and art-wise, they let me draw. But there's a hardcover of Bravo Man coming out, which you can pre-order at Amazon. Um, so there's that. I'm also part of a, uh, uh an art book called Introducing. It's the, vo- it's the fifth volume of this book. Uh, Bertram was in one of their volumes, too. Um, it's coming out soon, and if you go to, I think it's, uh, vegemationpress.com, They'll have, a, a pre-order thing and you can buy it. I've got, you know, some art pieces in there, but there's a lot of good art in there that, that's, buy it for them and not for me. Cause if you buy it for my stuff, you're going to get very disappointed. But if you buy it for their stuff, you're going to love it. Awesome. So where can people find
1: you online?
3: Um, they can find me on Twitter, DeviantArt, and, uh, Tumblr, and also YouTube under, uh, the name Daimuch on all of them. And then also on ShiftyLove.com.
1: Cool. And before we wrap up the interview part, uh, is there anything you'd like to say just in general?
3: Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, Thank you guys very much. I always love, um, I don't do interviews often, uh, but I I love doing them. Uh, It's nice that fans, especially, you know, fans with podcasts, uh, pay attention to the colorists and pay attention to all the creative effort that goes inside the book. So. Uh, getting to do this and completely kill your nights, um, it it it's it says more than just hey, can we have a you know hey, do you mind being on our podcast? It says to me that you guys actually pay attention to all the work that goes into the books, and I really can't thank you guys enough for you know having me on and Bertram. You know that was a fun in- that was a, a fun interview to listen to.
1: Uh, well, we definitely appreciate you coming on and spending the time, and uh, we know you guys have lots of work to do so you you probably don't have a lot of time so we appreciate uh you know you spending an evening with us and letting us pick your brain
3: yeah especially when my brain is nothing but pizza burritos and <laughs> really bad light sources i'm finding out right now
1: <laughs> all right so so thanks again for for joining us and uh and putting up with our questioning for uh, about an hour or so and we're going to move on with the rest of the show. So, uh, and Josh is going to stick around and give us his insightful commentary on the rest of our segment. So let's keep going. So we're going to move on to toys. So, uh, we're going to start with Daryl. So what kinds of toys have you found for us this week? Well,
2: this week has been a big week for, uh, six gun. The, the figure that, uh, was originally, kind of packed in with original g1 Metroplex that uh, was given to given to Metroplex as essentially six different guns that when you took all those guns put them together you got a figure and that was really cool everybody really loves six gun he's basically a fan favorite but he wasn't part of the new Metroplex so this week there's been three different uh, toy announcements from third-party companies with three brand new Six gun figures gonna hit the market. They're all very different looking. One's from TFC Toys. It's called their, it's called Gear, o- Gear of War, uh, number three. It has nothing to do with the video game Gears of War. They've just entitled their, their series Gear of War, so it's singular. It looks to be a really cool looking, uh, figure. Very closely resembles Six Gun. I can't tell from the picture if, in fact, he does become uh, six different guns. It does look like he does. But, uh, but yeah, there, there definitely is, uh, a really interesting new look to Six Gun with this TFC figure. Uh, he's got some really big, kinda, it ralph fists going on here. The really big, awkwardly looking fists. And, uh, what looks like jetpacks on the back. He, he definitely looks a little weird. The next one is from a company, uh, called Before and After. Now this one from the pictures we've got, this one definitely becomes six separate guns for Metroplex, and uh, and he actually looks really good. He looks like a, a really good representation of the original G1 Six Gun, and I, I'm really excited to see what these, what this one looks like uh, with a little bit of paint on it. The picture we have is just a uh, is just a prototype render, uh, and then the last one is from a company called AC Toys, and uh, again there's no real name for the figure, so we're just calling him Six Gun. And this is a big figure. Uh the picture we've got puts him taller or as tall as uh Make Toy's giant. And this is a big figure. And again, he's another one that uh definitely becomes uh six different guns. And uh they look they all look very similar. I definitely like the before and after figure, as far as a, a similar uh aesthetic to the original G one six gun. What do you guys uh what do you guys think of this uh this new six gun figure? How
0: the hell? Do three companies come up with the exact same toy? <laughs> that's my question.
3: there's got to be some I feel like uh with third parties there has to be some kind of community planning
0: that or some sophisticated sure. industrial espionage.
3: I
2: think this one yeah. was like the easiest pick for a new third party figure that's ever happened. You release a Metroplex hey. figure without a six gun third party companies got to be had had to have been clamoring all over this thing oh definitely. I, I'm I'm surprised there isn't more
3: than just three. I'll definitely say though of these of of the three options we have, I'm really liking that before and after a lot better than the other three. It just it feels better.
2: It does, and it's humongous, isn't it? It's huge, mm-hmm. absolutely all huge.
3: These, all these guys are. I mean, I, I guess they have to be to you know to provide uh, ammunition to Metroplex, but that's true. I mean, I just I wouldn't have expected. uh I guess I would have expected them to be smaller and just come with big accessories, but yeah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really liking that before and after one. It just it, something about it feels like 80s anime mech. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, I definitely think the the before and after and the AC toy ones. I think both of those are the clear winners ahead of the uh, the one from the Gear of War one from TFC, TFC Toys. Yeah, yeah, this this brings back memories for me because I had the G1 Metroplex toy. I got that for Christmas in 1986, and I still have the I have the Metroplex body. His leg has come off. My son still plays with him, but the, those guns that made Six Gun are are in the wind. Maybe they're somewhere in my parents' attic. I don't know where they are, but they they didn't they didn't survive the journey with Metroplex. <laughs> so this this is really this is a cool nostalgia factor for me. If I, if I had unlimited funds, this might be something that I would look into. <laughs>
2: Now, it, it needs to be pointed out that none, none of these have come with prices. There's, these are all prototype images that we were given. And, uh, the fact that they're that big, like, like I said, they're all around Make Toys Giant size. So, you gotta think, these are in the $100 range easily. At least. At, yeah. easily. So you're looking, you know, $100, $150. You know, these things are massive, right? So it's going to be expensive, but if you're really into Metroplex, this is something for you. Jeremy, what do you think?
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm I don't have a Metroplex, so there's no reason for me to get a six gun. But I mean, they all look pretty good. I kind of like that first one, the Gear of War. Okay. I it, I, th- I think it was that one I saw. Um, yeah, that it kind of has the aesthetic of some of the the IDW the, that look, especially like around the head and stuff, and Oh, I just that one's the one I'm leaning towards if I were okay, yeah, able to afford one. I can see that, yeah. Not too big on the huge hands; they seem out of proportion. Though. Yeah, kind of like my hands.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Daryl, you also had an update for us, right? For uh... I
2: do, I do have a, a quick update for everybody. A little while ago, uh, back on episode number four. Uh, we brought you a uh, a toy called... Well, actually, it was weird. The company didn't really have a name at the time, or it was... Actually, it was called AC Toys at the time. So AC Toys, which we just talked about bringing us a six-gun figure, um, they were talking to us about um, a, a Fall of Cybertron Bruticus upgrade. And this is the one with the new Onslaught figure, the one that's now making the Onslaught a Voyager-size uh, figure. Which I think the Fall of Cybertron kind of needs that. But um, yeah, so they've, they've come out. The, the company is now called Microblaze Creations. And the figure is called MB-002. And it's obviously called Fall of Cybertron Bruticus Upgrade Kit. So they've got new pictures released. New, No price or release date yet. But the one thing that I've found kind of interesting, and this was pointed out in the boards too, and it kind of made me laugh. If this is their first figure and it's called MB002, is there a MB001 that we don't know about? (laughs) But uh, it looks really good. I I I very, very much considering picking this thing up.
0: Yeah, these images look pretty cool. So I don't understand. AC Toys became Micro Blaze, or that was just that?
2: I don't know what's going on with that. That's okay. When we were talking about it in episode four, the company that had given us the images of MB002 was AC Toys. Now, what we've got coming out from MB002 is Microblaze Creations. So, somehow, maybe Microblaze Creations is a subsidiary of AC Toys. I don't know. It's, it's third company, third party companies on top of third party companies. You know, it's a lot of confusion there. Either way, there's a new toy coming out.
3: Okay. I never, I'm a very easy to please person, uh, the combined mode for Bruticus, uh, the, the Hasbro version really doesn't bother me, but I'm really loving that combined mode here. It might, it might definitely be a seller for me. It looks really good, doesn't it? It looks fantastic. Yeah. yeah
4: I, I think just moving Onslaught from a Deluxe to a Voyager makes a huge difference. Yeah, he
3: needs to yeah. be a Voyager class. Yeah. Everything feels better. The proportions feel so, so much better. Yeah, But I'm wondering, I'm, I'm wondering if that's gonna, if any of that will hinder, um, Bruticus, if the extra weight will be an issue. It's true. That's a good question.
2: You can tell. I mean, they kind
3: of, they kind of have him in a, a wide stance pose, uh, right there. So, uh, it looks like the legs will be able to take, uh, take a Voyager size, mm-hmm. uh, main body pretty well.
2: You can see that they have added a, uh, like foot pieces. To, mm-hmm. to give him some extra stability there. Plus, they've given him new hands, so there's a little bit more to the add-on, like the upgrade kit, other than just the Voyager in the middle. So there is a little bit more to this than, uh, than just the, the centerpiece.
4: But how much work do you think that would take, like, say you buy the kit and you're not familiar with opening up your toys, and how much work do you think it'll be to apply all this?
2: Not, not much at all. Uh, your, your centerpiece is a, a single toy by itself, and your right. hands are going to go on uh, separately. They just they they just go into the, the the slots that are given for the hands. And then when you've got your your feet, your figures in foot mode, you slide them in. You slide these add-on pieces just on top.
4: Oh, so it it's not replacing.
2: Doesn't look like it. That no. part of it. No, doesn't okay. look like it at all. It's very similar to the Crazy Devi stuff that I'm more than familiar with. All right.
1: So uh, we're going to move on to Jeremy, and you've got an item that I think will make uh, Josh very happy here.
2: Well, I'm already
3: liking this latest design. <laughs> yeah, well,
4: you, you you made a reference to it earlier, but um, Takara has released a like just a silhouette picture of Masterpiece Bumblebee, which does look very much G1 ish.
3: Uh, I'm going to have to mute, and uh, I'll be back in like 30. Uh, with his picture. (laughs) Oh, man! (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm really... I'm loving this silhouette. I'm loving loving the way this looks, just even as a
4: silhouette. And the the, the rumors are they got the VW license to actually do the VW bug, and this very much looks like the G1 VW bug-based Bumblebee. So this guy's... They're gonna look really good. I I hope
3: they milk this mold so much. I mean, like aside from like I, I won't buy like a cliff jumper. They should make. They should edit this to do cliff jumper hubcap. They could easily get those those four Volkswagenish guys out of this, uh, or not yeah. Volkswagenish ish guys out of this. But I want to see this in cartoon colors. I want to see this in comic colors where the black is blue. I want to see this in Bug Bite colors. I want to see this in shattered. and gold. Oh, God, I won't buy this mold so many times. <laughs> I'm the reason there are bees all over the shelves. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> if if they had not gotten the Volkswagen
2: uh, bug mold to do this thing, th- there would not be a point to doing a Masterpiece oh, Bumblebee. Oh, definitely.
4: Right. I mean, because the Masterpiece is, like, the ultimate representation of that character. And I, I don't know who would think of Bumblebee and think Camaro before they think of the VW bug.
2: Michael, Saturday Michael ritual.
3: Bay. <laughs> oh.
1: <laughs> well, I guess maybe if you were born after 1995,
3: I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Although in that case, I would much prefer you. You, oh, uh, well, let me not say prefer you, but I, I would hope people would maybe think animated B before they thought movie B, even though that was even the first incarnation. Mm-hmm. Was yeah, but I mean, even
4: then, he, he resembled a mini car.
3: Yeah
1: yeah he was like a kind of a mini cooper design and animated wasn't he mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. something like that yeah please bring this over hasbro <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: oh man if hasbro doesn't port over this bee i'm going to hurt with all of those charges
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> but i will happily give them my money if it means i can have myself a really nice looking
2: you just need to get really familiar mm-hmm. and comfortable with a couple customizers and buy like Eight of these things, and just say, "Here, I'm giving you seven of them. These are the colors I want them in, and do them, do them beautifully, right? <laughs> I want, I want that dot matrix halftone pattern." <laughs>
1: in the, in the customization. <laughs> <laughs> so we need to we need to call up Nell Yamtov and and get him on on the case here.
3: Hey, there you go. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy to see this. I didn't know this was uh, this was shown. I feel out of the loop, and now I feel into the loop. That, that's what we do in this podcast. We aim to please. We bring you people
1: in the loop. <laughs> Alright, uh, Yoshi, you've got, uh, something for us too, don't you?
0: Yeah, surprisingly. Daka Toys is releasing a figure that they're calling Kronos, which is a fancy way for them to get away with saying G1 Skyfire. Now, I'm, I'm not, I'm not familiar with Daka Toys. Is that one you're familiar with, uh, Daryl?
2: Uh well we As talked about him a bit. Yeah, they they did a head for your G1 Skyfire or F- Jetfire. Um oh, that looked that's right. absolutely fucking atrocious. That it was a <laughs> joke. So this is the this is like the second thing they've ever done. If you go to their um their Big Bad Toy Store page, you can just click on their their stuff there and you'll see it. So they've got their stupid ass head and they've got their
6: <laughs>
2: add-on Third, uh, three upgrade kit and faceplate for your for your MP10. Which I don't know why the hell you'd even think about doing anything to your MP10. But apparently, if you want your uh, Optimus Prime to look like garbage, you would do this.
0: Remind me next time I pick out a toy, Daryl, that I run up by (laughs) you before I I open my mouth about it, because this is not. I was just giving you.
2: I was just giving you a history on DACA Toys. Yeah. Apparently, they they produce garbage. Okay, so this uh, we'll, we'll share a link. Today's with... episode is sponsored by DACA Toys. <laughs> Today's episode is
0: sponsored by the Angry Canadian. So we'll share a link with everybody to the Big Bad Toy Store where we found this. But what we've got is a twelve-inch tall piece of shit <laughs> that sells for the for the you know very cheap dirt price of one hundred and sixty-five bucks. Um, it's not coming out till next year. The pictures on. On the big bag toy store, they don't look complete. They don't look like this figure is completely colored. Uh It looks like an early render. But what I will say in a positive note, and maybe some people will agree with me, is this thing looks phenomenally poseable to me. Everything from the fingers to the shoulders to the knees. This just looks like he's going to be able to limbo when you get him. But to go with the face theme, I'm not too impressed with his face. Who else wants to chime in on this piece of junk character, apparently. <laughs> figure.
1: No, I agree with you, Yoshi. It does, the colors don't look finished uh, on the figure, but, uh, maybe, does... maybe we're
0: underestimating the, 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 gray fans out there that just love gray. <laughs> he,
1: he does look like a G1, uh, Skyfire. I mean, you know, the cartoon representation, so.
0: I mean, he looks like each finger is individually posable if you look at it real close. Yeah. Which would be a first for me. Well.
4: Yeah, MP01 and some toys around them, like the Armada Unicron did that. And I think Hasbro got out of the habit of doing that because people just make their figures flip the bird.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be happy to Photoshop anybody that can do that.
5: <laughs>
4: I'm wondering how long it'll be before they get sued by Harmony Gold, who, you know, has the Robotech <laughs> license.
2: Well, this does not look like the Robotech figure. This it looks like the animation model. They
4: they sued Hasbro over a non transforming GI
2: Joe F fourteen Tomcat. <laughs> that F fourteen Tomcat looks a lot like Jetfire. We're gonna sue you. I was wondering just because I mean we talked about the Mechaform figure on episode four as well, and and that one like these is it obviously these are two different companies. So they is it two different companies producing two different Skyfires right now? I, I'm I don't know. I I thought that this was the same thing, but. Obviously, it's not because it's two different companies, so it looks like we're still waiting on information from Mechaform on theirs. Personally, I'm still kind of more excited for the Mechaform figure, because I think it looks a little bit better to me, but the Dakatoys Toys thing, I know, no, I'm not overly happy about the uh, their stuff.
0: Yeah, we got that. <laughs> 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 and, and, you know, I do take your opinion very seriously, too, but yeah, no, i I I, I wonder, they must have been selling stuff, or they wouldn't keep making stuff.
2: This is only the third thing they've made, and I don't even think anything's come out yet. Oh, fantastic. Next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, everything's still up for pre-order. Alright, so uh,
1: I'll, I'll end the segment with the toy that I found. So this is Ultimetal Optimus Prime. And this is an awesome figure. It doesn't transform, but it is... A very very detailed uh, Optimus Prime figure with kind of a both an inner and an outer shell. So it actually has kind of a robot skeleton, and the Optimus Prime, his outer kind of metal skin is uh, attached on top of the skeleton.
3: So it's very very
1: detailed and also very posable. So
3: that looks pretty cool. Ah, this looks this is amazing. Um, in. The Dreamwave, More Than Meets The Eye books, they had, they would do this, these kind of cutaways, like with Devastator, where they would have like the pieces uh pulled apart and floating around, so you could see all the little individual components and all the internal mechanisms of the combined form. And they did this with a lot of stuff, and that's what this reminds me of. And I'm in the camp that I love the fact that that we're getting things like this that aren't transformable, but in a sense, they still change what the figure is. Um, you can have a really, a really gorgeous Optimus Prime on your shelf, or you can also have a really gorgeous cutaway model of Optimus Prime that shows all the internal mechanisms and stuff, and I think that's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And it's actually done by the figure, it's an official licensed figure, but the company doing it is Action Toys, and I think, aren't they a third party, uh, developer? Or third party figure, uh,?
4: Yeah, I think there's like, there's an event in Japan where Um, third, like, other companies can make an official licensed figure. And I think this came out of that event.
2: Okay. I, I think this thing is gorgeous. It, it really looks nice. I would
3: love to see this with Galvatron. Just because it would be nice to get that, that movie cutaway kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
4: Or, or Megatron as well. Oh, yeah,
3: yeah, Megatron. Megatron would work equally as amazing.
4: It would be neat to see, like, a half Galvatron, half oh, Megatron, like, oh. mid-trans... Like,
3: don't, mid- don't say things uh, that, that I'm going to want. <laughs> <laughs> and then be disappointed that I cannot get.
2: I can't get over the price, though. This thing's sitting at oh, yeah. 800 bucks. Uh, oh, my goodness. Uh, I'd rather, I'd rather buy go. a couple MP10s <laughs> and rip them apart, but... <laughs> It's, 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 I can't get over the gorgeousness of
3: this thing. This thing is, is beautiful. I will admire this from someone else's shelf. Yeah. But you know it's, what? it's really, I'm, really nice.
0: I'm looking at this thing and it looks like when you pose him, like the little pistons and stuff actually shrink in or lengthen. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the feet on the bottom right there on that figure, on that image, the way he's got his feet kind of cockeyed and his, uh, yeah. his wrist on his right arm, it looks like those go in and out. Yeah, that's what she said.
4: Yeah, well, I mean, they didn't have to do the engineering of, of the transformation so they could spend that time engineering. And his
3: systems.
0: fingers are all individual. God damn
3: it. <laughs> I wonder I wonder what the size of this to um, MP10 is and how many people will buy this and then switch out a lot of the things with their MP10. Like, uh, I, I don't own one. I don't know how posable the fingers are. Hmm. But if they're not, I could easily see if these are in the same scale. Someone with really deep pockets... <laughs> getting this and deciding to switch the hands out.
4: Yeah, I, w- I would think it would be about comparable because you don't want one much bigger. I mean, MP01. No, if MP- it, 01 if is it was
3: bigger, that 800 price would feel a little better. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty spicy meatball.
4: <laughs> uh, it looks like about 17.3 inches tall. That is pretty big.
3: Yeah, that's that's way bigger than MB10. Well, then what I said was never said. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Alright, then, uh, in addition to that, uh, I have an update for something I talked about in episode 11. So, we talked about a third-party Galvatron that was coming out it was from Unique Toys called uh, Mania King. And we now have that up, and it's available for pre-order from Big Bad Toy Store uh, for $115. So, if there's any big Galvatron fans out there, uh, you can check that out. But uh, we did... Daryl also mentioned earlier that Unique Toys has a bit of a reputation for not always using the best high quality plastic, so I guess buyer beware for that.
2: Yeah. So.
3: Yeah. That's probably one of the most frustrating gambles to make, uh, with third party companies, and of course it's a gamble you have to make, but you get a figure that looks really nice, but has really bad plastic quality in some cases, and it just ends up ruining the whole figure, but mm. I guess that's, that's the game you gotta play.
2: That's why you go to TFCon,
3: right? You get,
2: you get people that have, that have it there, and you, you see them in hand, and you're like, oh my god, this thing looks, it's, it's really good now, you know? Unique Toys had, you know, their Predaking was bad, and, you know, their Galvatron is amazing, you know? So something happened between Predaking and Galvatron, and that's, you know, that's reassuring now. So their next toy, maybe you are able to get Galvatron, but you might have to pay a little bit extra because you waited. But their next toy, you're you're that much more sure of your purchase because you saw what Galvatron was like. So, that's true. Yeah, that's true.
1: All right, so I think that'll wrap up our toy section, and we're gonna move on to comics. And uh, this week we have a couple of reviews for you. So first, we're gonna start with. A spoiler-heavy review of Transformers Robots in Disguise number 22. So this is the last issue before the whole Dark Cybertron event kicks off in November. And so this issue, so this is one of the few issues that is not being colored by our friend Josh here. So this was written by John Barber, art by Andrew Griffith uh in the present day, and art by Livio Ramondelli in the past. And the colors were by Priscilla Tremontano. in The Present Day, paired with Andrew Griffith's art. And Livio Ramondelli has his own unique style, so he does both his lines and his colors uh, for the the flashback scenes. So uh, this issue is uh, continuing from the previous issue. So we had this big shockwave, soundwave uh, showdown here. And that started in issue 21 and continues uh, in this issue. This was a really interesting issue for me. I I really enjoyed it. I actually, I think I enjoyed it more than the last issue because it gave me some insights into Soundwave that we just hadn't seen before. And it really, it, it, it very, it very much fleshed out what happened in Megatron Origin, which was a comic series that IDW put out a long time ago, back in 2007, telling the story of Megatron, how he came to be. And this issue gives us some insight into how Soundwave got teamed up with Megatron and why he chose to become a Decepticon and why he chose to to follow Megatron. And I thought that was really interesting. So uh, in the present day, uh, we have Shockwave and Soundwave in a conflict where Soundwave has tracked Shockwave to his lair, which is the Crystal City on Cybertron. And uh, Soundwave has already uh, defeated uh, Shockwave's minion, uh, Dreadwing, and now he's facing Shockwave himself and they have, you know, a little back and forth banter. Shockwave, I think, gets the better of the banter. He does a lot of I think he does a couple of lines that are really uh, kind of biting for Soundwave. And you know, I think he he, he says uh, you may he, Shockwave says you make much of your ability to hear things. I had assumed you were able to understand as well. I just think that's a real cutting line that shockwave gives the yeah. soundwave and uh, so they so you know they they have a l- bit of a brawl but the problem is that since uh, shockwave has set up the his ore 14 in crystal city that ore is uh, does regeneration so you know they can fight all they want but you know any, anyone who gets knocked down and gets you know even gets killed is just going to automatically regenerate so they're kind of mincing words and arguing with each other while they're brawling but in the process, they're, you know, just knocking each other down and then automatically repairing themselves. And, uh, when it starts, uh, Soundwave, you know, Shock, uh, Shockwave says, oh, Soundwave, you shouldn't have come alone. You should have brought your cassettes with you. And of course, Soundwave says, yeah, I'm never alone. And of course, you know, pops out his chest and all his cassettes jump out, which I was a little surprised that Shockwave wouldn't have figured that out. I mean, you know, how, how many, how many times has Soundwave ejected? Cassettes from his chest, so why wouldn't you think that they were they were still in there?
4: Yeah, well, I mean, he thinks that he would have used them in the Dreadwing fight, but he didn't. Yeah, but but that that page with all the cassettes and everything that needs to be a poster.
3: <laughs> oh yeah, you know. it looks gorgeous. Although I'm a little confused as to how the Tank Mode Rumble and Frenzy fit inside uh, Soundwave.
1: Yeah, I guess uh, that's not clear from uh, you know from the uh, you know from the art here, but maybe we'll, maybe we'll get that answer at a future date.
3: Yeah, or maybe there's a cassette mode too. I don't know. Things, they, they're transformers. There could be a lot of surprises. It was the when I first saw that it was the first thing that came into my mind was uh, being confused about that
4: mass shifting. He so answered there everything. You,
3: there you go. I, how easily I forget.
1: Yeah, so I th- I think uh, actually I think the present day parts of the issue are are not quite as interesting as as the flashbacks. You know, so the present day story it's it's over pretty quickly. You know, they're fighting. We have one good scene where. Where Shockwave is about to shoot Soundwave and Ravage, you know, showing his loyalty to his, uh, to Soundwave jumps in front and takes, takes the hit for Soundwave and, and Soundwave gets really angry, but, you know, Shockwave is like, it's cool, man, it's cool. We're all gonna regenerate anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> and so, you know, Ravage just wakes up again and it's fine. So, you know, at the, by the end, Soundwave realizes, well, there's not really much to be gained by continuing to fight here because, We're just going to come back anyway. So he, you know, he and all his cassettes leave. And so Shockwave uh, continues his communication with uh, G-Axis and G-Axis tells him, "Okay, we're going to teleport the Titan to your location as you requested. And the the one interesting thing, you know, it seems like the tables have turned between Shockwave and G-Axis. You know, originally G-Axis was Shockwave's mentor and, and teacher. But now it seems like Shockwave is in control because, uh, axis says, okay, here, as you or he's mentioning that, uh, he let Optimus Prime live on Gorlin Prime rather than destroy them. And, you know, he says, as you requested Shockwave, but Shockwave says, no, as I commanded. So, you know, Shockwave is demonstrating that he's in charge here and, he, and he's really the prime mover in uh, all these events. And I guess that's going to continue in Dark Cybertron. Uh, so that's, that's the present day story.
0: It's too bad we don't have anybody with us that can confirm or deny that speculation. <laughs> <laughs>
3: no comment, Josh. <laughs> uh Shockwave orders everyone a pizza and Dark <laughs> Oh god, I shouldn't I shouldn't ruin the story. But that's the ultimate goal of Cy- Dark Cybertron is it's night and everyone wants to party and Shockwave Shockwave's very intelligent mother orders them nine pizzas. <laughs> For those that understand uh, PEMDAS. Sorry, that's that first in or out or last. Math joke.
6: <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs>
1: so delving into, into the flashback part of the story. So we have a couple of scenes where we go back to the end of Megatron Origin where Soundwave... So in Megatron Origin, Soundwave was kind of a Senator Ratbat's servant. And Ratbat in that series was kind of the... Uh, fuel
0: auditor? Pulling, huh? Fuel auditor?
1: Yes, so, so this is before, you know, in the IDW universe, he wasn't actually a fuel auditor, he was a senator, so. Oh. He was, uh, you know, and, and he actually had a humanoid body, he didn't have a bat body before this, so.
4: But he had like, his head kind of resembled a bat. Yeah,
1: that's right, yeah. And I think that was kind of his, his emblem too, I guess. But, uh, yeah, so, so Senator Ratbat is, a bit shady he's kind of you know your typical corrupt politician so he's he's pulling a lot of strings and uh and you know fomenting a lot of discord and in on Cybertron and then reaping profits from that so the kind of gladiator pits that forged uh Megatron were kind of engineered by Senator Ratbat's machinations and he actually uh, has Soundwave who was his his servant at the time to give he sends Soundwave to give Megatron a bunch of additional weapons to improve their fighting abilities. And so Ratbat thought he was in control, but at the end of Megatron Origin, Soundwave turns the tables on him and uh just blasts him and then extracts his spark and then puts him in a new body to serve him as one of his cassettes. And here in the, in this flashback scene, we have a little bit extra detail of that scene where in addition to a spark, he's pulling out uh, Ratbat's brain module from his head. So, you know, this this is kind of tying in to how James Roberts has established that every Transformer can't live without both a brain module and a spark, Uh and also a transformation cog, but I guess it's, we're assuming that that goes too. But the Roberts has really kind of established that the, the life of a Transformer is intimately connected to their brain module and their spark together. So if one is destroyed if one or the other is destroyed the transformer dies. And so we're continuing that I that uh um you know we're just tying up that that loose end since the art in Megatron origin shows him just extracting his spark and nothing else. Anyway, that was a long-winded uh, explanation about uh, uh what Soundwave is doing here and this kind of starts off the Soundwave shockwave uh, dialogue where Shockwave is asking him so you say your cassettes don't serve you, that they're equals, but then you're, you know, you're turning Ratbat into one of your cassettes. So, so what does that mean? And, and, uh, Soundwave says there, you know, some people, some are more equal than others is his response. <laughs> and, and, and we have another flashback scene, which takes place earlier where Soundwave is talking, uh, with, uh, Megatron and discussing, you know, Megatron's philosophy and, you know, what, what he wants to do how he wants to basically take over Cybertron you know right now with their gladiatorial game their underground gladiatorial games they're a nuisance to the senate but they're not really on their radar so so Megatron wants to make a bigger a bigger stamp on the uh, on the world and and Soundwave is uh, is suggesting that uh, Megatron get himself captured intentionally and then lure the senate into to assassinate them and so we see here and so this is a behind the scenes uh, look at how how and why Megatron decided to lure the Senate in and kill the Senate which happened in Megatron Origin. So so I'm really liking in this in this issue it kind of gives motivation to the characters from Megatron Origin where in that comic Megatron Soundwave they kind of did things and you know the the story all the story beats happened in that in that issue but you never really got a satisfying explanation for what their motivations were or why they were doing things you know at the end of Megatron Origin Soundwave betrays Ratbat and sides with Megatron but you don't really understand why or you know what what his motivation was and th- and this issue fills that in
4: it would be nice to see you know like copies of these old books where you've they've there's been holes filled in so so take these new pages integrate them into the old books i i would like to see how that would read
1: yeah that w- may- maybe like a director's cut of the old issues or something right. yeah right uh, that would make me enjoy megatron origins a lot more yeah so so josh you colored uh, all of megatron origins so so what was your thoughts while you were coloring it were you a little bit disappointed with the story while you were doing it
3: uh megatron origins was kind of uh it was it was a fun book but um uh, it was it was also it was me, Eric and Alex kind of going in different directions I feel of what we wanted to bring to the table uh with that story and I think that it kind of shows through I, I, it feels a little the story was solid but I, I I don't think it was necessarily appropriate for the IDW universe um I think I, I think I don't know if this is true or not but I remember hearing that it was originally a pitch to Dreamwave but um that's one of the things I liked about uh, I like about these issues and, and other issues that do callbacks to Megatron Origins is I do like that um a lot of the a lot of there's a lot of issues brought up with Megatron Origins that are kind of fixed with uh not to say that they're particularly bad books. I, I, I dislike Megatron Origins purely because I just don't like my work on it. I think it's a really dark, muddy, messy book to read. But um I really I really love these issues. Um, these last two issues that have kind of popped back into that universe and They've kind of given us a little bit more, uh, a little bit more meat to the story, uh, going on. And it must have been fun. I, I would hope it was fun for Barbara to get to fill in, uh, a lot of those stories, a lot of those holes, not stories, but a lot of those holes left in the plot. Uh, it reads like it. It reads like he was having fun with it. And it definitely, I, I would love it if when all is said and done, if we can, if we could compile, compile all these stories. Uh, and kind of have one version of Megatron Origins that has a lot of stuff. I don't know, I guess a lot of these stories coming in at the right moments. So that way we could get a more full story since I feel the original Megatron Origins. It had a good story, but it felt empty. Uh, especially when you look at it compared to a lot of the stuff that's coming out now. It felt like there was so much more that needed to be said in that book.
1: Yeah. So, and it's, it's also uh, nice. They, they have one scene where Soundwave and Megatron are having a conversation in in one of the gladiatorial arenas, and you see the two combatants in the arena are Grimlock and Scorponok, which is a nice callback actually to monstrosity, which just uh came out this summer where mon- in monstrosity, Grimlock and Scorponok have some dialogue where they refer to how they were combatants in the arena back in back in the early days of uh, of Megatron's rise to power. so it's just a nice uh you know a nice little nod. And of course livio uh did all the art and monstrosity, so it's a it's you know completely uh consistent with that oh yeah,
4: I don't think i I realized that was Grimlock we have a review copy, so the colors aren't the best
1: yeah there there there's a big watermark over Grimlock's face, so it's really hard to see but uh I'm pretty sure that's who it is, yeah and uh then so That ties up Megatron Origin pretty nicely, but then at the end we get a further additional scene going even, going back even further, where we see how Soundwave first met his first three cassettes. So, uh, it turns out that Ravage, Buzzsaw, and Laserbeak were kind of just a team on their own, and they discover Soundwave in just a sorry state. So it looks like Soundwave you know, and this adds another mystery, so we, we kinda don't know where Soundwave came from, where they, they find him just in the slums, and he's kind of disoriented, and he's even doesn't have a faceplate in this, in this, uh, early view of Soundwave, and he's, he doesn't know who he is, but he's got this ability, you know, the, the, the telepathic, empathic ability that he has. We kinda see that it's not only that he can, you know, he can you know absorb information from other Cybertronians but it's actually an overload for him because he absorbs everything around him and so Ravage and Buzzsaw and Laserbeak are the ones who teach him how to have focus and that's how he can contain uh, all the information that's overloading him constantly so it's a really interesting take on Soundwave where you know he doesn't just have this great ability to read other people's minds it's actually overloading him, and he he really has to focus to con- control his ability. And I just thought that was a really interesting new, you know, a fresh new take on Soundwave, you know, after so long. It's really interesting.
4: I think that was my favorite part of the issue was just getting that point across that he has this ability, but he didn't always have the ability perfected. He had to learn to to use it, and um, he, it was just, you know, paralyzing him before he, he learned to focus.
1: Yeah, and now we've got another mystery, and I hope John Barber comes back to this. So where did he come from in the first place, and how did he get this ability? Because it seems like, you know, he was, he's been dumped in the slums, but where did he come from before that, and who was he before that? Maybe we'll get that answer at some point in the future.
0: It's too bad we don't have somebody we gotta ask <laughs> who <might be laughs> the answer <to> this. <laughs> Ken, could, if we had that person, I'd be satisfied with so big of an answer of a yes or a no.
3: <laughs> this, uh, these issues are new to me. Um, I've, I've been deep with work, deep, busy, why, head, sleep. Um, I'm sorry, I have, my, my brain's not where it should be. But, um, no, I've been, I've been busy with Dark Cybertron, so I haven't actually kept up with RID or the story threads in it. So that, when I read, uh, the, the scene with Soundwave and his cassettes, that was new. And it was it was very nice. It was I thought that was a uh, that moment's really nice. It's a really sweet and tender moment. You know, it's one of those. I think it's the panel where Ravage is looking at him. It, one, it looks it looks adorable. I know that this is a. <laughs> it's it's weird to see that, but you look at it and that looks cute. Anyone that's owned a pet has seen a pet look at him like that <laughs> before. Like, dude, it's gonna be cool. We could help you, but um, I just I love this. I love this part of Soundwave, and I hope I hope it gets explored because it would be very unfortunate to kind of see. This little tiny fraction of his past and then never touch upon it again. So hopefully that's something we'll see, um, if it, if it happens, we'll definitely, I feel we'll definitely see it in robots in disguise. Probably uh, an issue that Livio does, um, like he has been.
1: Yeah, this, this really left me wanting more for Soundwave, so.
4: Or maybe it'd be something that would be father for uh, another, um, in the, the autocracy monstrosity in that, in that vein.
3: Oh, that would be nice. I would, I would actually love it if, um, Once, uh, I I don't know how long these, uh, atrocity monstrosity stories will go on, but I would absolutely love it if, uh, IDW explored maybe doing origin stories like this.
1: Yeah, that, that would be awesome. And it's, it's really nice because I think John Barber has paid a, paid attention to how Soundwave has been portrayed throughout the IDW universe. And, you know, like just reading through Megatron origin as I did recently, uh, you see that Soundwave's dialogue is very clipped, kind of very, very short and to the point. And you get this, you know, if you read it, you can get the sense that he's kind of struggling with maintaining focus and, and that kind of comes across in Megatron Origin. And then in later issues with Soundwave, he's much more, uh, you know, much more, uh, put together and aware of himself and able to, to have, you know, better conversations with people. So I think it shows a nice progression where he's, you know, he starts off having a tough time controlling his ability, but now that he's mastered it, uh, it's, it's very second nature, nature to him. And this, this kind of gives you a reason for that. So I think that, that'll wrap up, uh, robots in disguise number 22. So finally, next month, we're going to start with Dark Cybertron. So. I'm excited for that so much.
4: One thing, one thing at the end of this is that leads into Dark Cybertron is it, the thought, the thought boxes, clearly put Soundwave as well at odds with with Shockwave. Yeah. So, I mean, Dark Cybertron isn't going to be Shockwave and the Decepticons. It looks like it'll be Shockwave and, you know, Gyaxis and them versus the Decepticons and versus the Autobots.
1: Yeah, it looks like... And it looks like maybe they'll just all be working on their own agendas. It doesn't look like they're going to team up, so maybe they'll all be attacking him from multiple angles.
3: Jeez, I wish we had someone that was
0: <laughs> A simple yes or no.
4: Can you confirm well, well, that Shockwave will be involved? I,
3: I can't confirm. I can confirm that Shockwave will be involved. And in G axis and other transformers.
1: Wait, other transformers?
3: <laughs> yeah you know ok well no i'm mistaken sorry it's 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 gobots and Morphidroids. <laughs>
0: cancel my
1: subscription Sorry, i
3: didn't i didn't mean to give you guys false false
1: hope <laughs> all right so yeah so definitely a, a nice uh end to robots in disguise the the dark cybertron prelude so definitely makes us uh ready to to pick up dark cybertron which i think will be out ne- at least the first issue should be out next week i think the first week in november oh yeah
0: If only we had somebody.
3: (laughs) (laughs) See, I don't, I don't even know when they're released. I only recently found out the, how they're numbering the, the issues. I only know Dark Cybertron from issue one, issue two, issue three of the individual, uh, stories themselves. So I'm just excited. I'm excited for issue one to come out. That was, uh, ah, there's so many cool things that happen in issue one. I just, I'm excited to see people, uh, read them and to finally get to hear what people think about it.
1: Yeah, they they've already released the you
3: know the the first page as a preview image, and I got ex- I got excited, and it's all the the preview stuff that Bave colored and stuff. And I was like, ah, I forgot <laughs> that I forgot those are in the beginning of it. But it's good that they did those because like every page of Dark Cyber, like every issue, every page gives away something. Okay, especially when we start getting into the into the later issues, it's going to be hard for them to do their previews without giving away uh, some major story elements oh man <laughs>
4: so so you're saying these are gonna be books that are gonna require multiple rereadings to fully get everything,
3: oh man um i you should i think you'll i think and everyone will be able to read and enjoy them um after the first sitting, but if you read them multiple times, you'll definitely notice a bunch of little things.
0: we're gonna have to have you back on <laughs>
3: oh, please, please
0: all right, so uh, let's
1: move on to our classic review so. We've got our Marvel U.S. issue, Transformers number 10. The next best thing to being there. So, Yoshi, why don't you take us back back to the 80s?
0: Come with me in my DeLorean, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> issue 10, uh, we're going to start off by looking at the cover here. This is the introduction of Devastator. And on the cover on the bottom right in big bold letters, it says Dawn of the Devastator. And Devastator is just beating the hell out of Autobots while uh, in the background on a hill appears to be some sort of funky Cybertronian-looking satellite dish with a tentacle porn scene going on underneath it. <laughs> uh, some some Transformer is attached and uh, having a good time. Alright, so issue 10, we, we pick up, uh, in the Decepticon's current base, which happens to be in Blackrock's aerospace plant that they have recently taken over. And, uh, using the little bit of leftover, uh, creation matrix that Prime was not able to dump in Buster Witwicky, Shockwave is able to pry that from Optimus Prime's head and create six new warriors, six new Decepticons, the Constructicons. So what do we have there? We've got what? Uh, Scrapper, Hook, Bone Crusher, Scavenger, Long Haul, and Mixmaster? Yes, sir. Thank you. And right away, uh, Shockwave sends these, uh, Six new Decepticons, along with Soundwave, on a mission to go out and build an interstellar transmissional radio dish to contact their home planet, Cybertron. The comic book cuts back to the arc where Prowl is giving GB Blackrock a tour of the arc. And during the tour, uh, Mr. Blackrock uh, believes he's got a way that the, uh, the the Autobots can hack into his facility and monitor what the uh, Decepticons are doing through their phone system, which they are able to pull off and do. And the Decepticons are out building this antenna. They get it built uh, just as the Autobots attack. And uh, Soundwave instructs the Constructicons to form Devastator to fight off the Autobots. While he tries to communicate with Cybertron. And an interesting thing happens when Devastators form for the first time. He becomes, as, as six individual robots, uh, this one massive robot becomes slow and dumb. It's just, uh, six Decepticon brains aren't better than one, or it just takes up other cycles to run. I don't know what, but he does act a little slower, look a little dumber. It, it kind of reminds me of, uh, Frankenstein for some reason, just the way that He's moving and talking. In the end, the Autobots are able to defeat uh, the Decepticons and send them on their way. But Soundwave does get a radio signal out to uh, Cybertron. It's not the complete message he wanted to send, but he got something out. And in a nutshell, this is issue 10. It's uh the Decepticons trying to communicate with Cybertron and the Autobots stopping him. There's a couple of sub storylines going on. Huffer, uh, the Autobot Huffer is uh, really homesick and spends a a good part of the issue trying to get the uh, communication systems on the arc working so he can talk to Cybertron. And there's a point in the battle with Devastator where he has to make a decision, you know, destroy the, destroy the antenna and lose any chance of possibly talking to Cybertron again. And, it's because of his hesitation that Soundwave is able to get a message out. Also in the comic book, we see the return of Buster's dad. Sparkplug comes home from the hospital and he's just super proud of his boy for having taken care of all the backed up cars that were waiting outside of, outside of his auto shop. And at the end of the, the very end of the issue, the Autobots overhear Shockwave talking to Optimus Prime because Shockwave tried to bring life to Jetfire. And he isn't able to do it. And so now Shockwave is suspecting that Optimus Prime doesn't have any more of this creation matrix in him. And that he's starting to fail to see why it's worth keeping Optimus Prime's head alive. And it's kind of a cliffhanger there, a dun-dun-dun moment of what's going to happen next. Are we going to lose Optimus Prime? Anybody else happen to read this this week? Yes, I did. And uh, you you left
1: out the the very important character of Bomber Bill.
0: That's because <laughs>
1: I was about to mention. I've,
0: I've got to give you something to talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this this guy kind of walked out of a, you know a cliche buddy cop movie. You know, it, it's it's not him, but his truck is you know just one week away from retirement when the Constructicons come and and steal it. So it's you know it's very uh, he's got a very big motivation to get his truck back because that's his livelihood, and of course you know. It, it, it's funny because, you know, he teams up with Huffer, and it's very kind of, he, he really takes everything in stride. Yeah, there's giant alien robots fighting each other, and I know who the good guys are, who the bad guys are, and I'll just hitch a ride. And no problem. <laughs> and at the end, you know, Huffer got my truck back, so we're
0: cool. And that's it. <laughs> it's just kind of Things were so amazing simple and... in the 80s. <laughs>
1: But uh, yeah, it's you know it's it's a another kind of one shot human character who crosses paths with paths with the Transformers. Right. And also, I, I have to also make make a mention to the these two guys in the aerospace plant. So this is uh, what are their names? Oh, the guys in the beginning. Gabe, yeah, Gabe and Ferdy. So these two guys are the are the numbnuts who brought Soundwave into the aerospace plant in the first place back in issue seven. Oh, are they really? So, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, these guys are responsible for getting getting the Aerospace plant uh, taken over in the first place, but they of course they don't realize it, but you know, they're they're kind of our our viewpoint characters in the Aerospace plant while the, while Optimus Prime and Shockwave are discussing, you know, momentous things, they're all in the background like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> uh, I got no idea. <laughs> I just keep, your keep head my down, head down. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: That's cool. I didn't even realize that. That's awesome. Thanks for pointing that out.
1: And uh, just a, a, my other super nerdy moment is that uh, the letterer, Janice Chiang, uh, she is back on the duties after a couple issues, issues break. And with her, her lettering style, she has the rectangular boxes with the starburst. So in the last couple of issues, the Transformers all had uh their oval boxes with lightning bolt bubbles. So... But the square boxes are, are really kind of distinctive for the Transformers comics. That the Transformers all, I guess to, to kind of signify that their voices are different from human voices.
0: It's a, uh, it's no secret by the end of this issue, Jetfire is gonna be a, uh, be a main focal point in the next issue. Right. If only we had somebody to talk about what happens next. <laughs>
3: Man, I, I kinda, I miss, I miss these issues, man. I, I, I love going back and rereading, uh, the issues from the 80s. because There's a certain way that stories are told, where they're really quick. You get so much in one issue. Uh, not to say that you don't see it anymore, but it's just like everything was, like, there's so much fun. The stories are a little outlandish. The characters are a lot more outlandish. I would really love to see, um I don't know. I, I, I would love to see, like, IDW use digital, the digital, uh, comics to maybe, like how Marvel had Marvel Adventures, where they told stories that weren't really that serious. I would love to see IDW do that, but do storytelling like these. Have
0: have you have you read the Mars Attacks crossover?
3: I worked on the Mars. Oh, Attacks that was crossover. so fun. I don't. I will say this though. I don't understand why Cliff like Cliffjumper was colored like Bumblebee in the print because I, I, that's one that that confused me. It's not a, It's not an edit I made. Huh? Uh, Cliffjumper he was changed um, in the the conversation he's having with Megatron inside the dome uh, with the, when the aliens capture the Autobots and them there. Um, I don't know if it was made because I'm, I'm I'm assuming I'm hoping that it was made because maybe uh, someone editing thought it would be fun to have a miscolored transformer since it was supposed to be the cartoon universe. Mm. And uh, I would love to do that. Like, um, have you guys seen the? Um, uh, it's a uh, it's uh, one of the Batman Brave and the Bold episodes where we got to see the Scooby Doo universe. And there were in, intentional animation errors done in them, like uh like the like Batman's hand would have a glove on it in one in one frame, but he would be holding a letter and it would be colored peach <laughs> um, and they would do that with like the shape, like his cowl one moment he was having a full cowl that you know covered his neck, and the next it was opened a bit to show a peach neck because they intentionally didn't color the black that was supposed to be under his neck uh correctly. I would love to do a comic like this. And just have intentional errors. Uh, we earlier, when we see, um, uh, Devastator attacking the Autobots, we see Prowl miscolored as Bumblebee. And of course this was things that, this was not new for Transformer comics or any comics, uh, back then where, you know, colorists had a lot more to do physically where, you know, they would make mistakes like that. But I would love, I would love to see IDW play with these kinds of, uh, this kind of storytelling where it's really quick. Um, it's a lot of a lot of information and a lot of craziness and and just animation errors solid coloring. i would love to do that. i would love to be part of something like that but i, I love these old issues
0: I'm having so much fun rereading them.
2: <laughs> i often
3: thought when uh when i d w started
2: uh reprinting the i guess they were called the generations issues back when i d w first mm-hmm. started i i originally thought that they were redoing the original Uh, Marvel issues, the story, but redoing the art, that would be, that would would be amazing. That would blow my freaking mind. Cause there are some really good stories. I would like for them to experiment
3: with that. I would love for them to experiment.
2: There are some really cool stories. Like, there are some, there are some stories that are just, just crap. They're not the greatest stories, but there are some, there are some characters that, are are fan favorites and and just amazing characters that just look terrible in the original uh, books because the art was not the greatest. I mean, let's be honest; it's it's not the greatest art in the original books. But if you could redo the entire book art and keep the original stories, that that would be something really cool.
3: I would love to, love to see them do that with like Guido um, Guido or Casey. Someone with a really strong oh yeah understanding of of the Generation One style or Marcello. Marcelo Materi would be good for that mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that would be really. But, nice.
4: Maybe that's something that was, that'd be something I could follow. Regeneration one. Oh, there you go. Mm. Start over from the beginning.
3: Ah, man, it's just that's one of the things I love most about. uh I love most about this podcast was going back and reading this issue. The only thing that that I hated was now it makes me want more of stuff like this. Um, I love Transformer comics. I love Dark Cybertron, and it's it's got a really nice dramatic story. Uh, uh, more than meets the eye and R.I.D have fantastic stories. They're very, uh, and I say mature stories, and that they're they're very involved. They're very uh, they're not they're not books that you that you you read and you go, oh, nothing bad's gonna happen in this issue. Or I'm. Or like if a character, you know, is offed or killed, um, you you really feel for that character. Um, and it's not that it wasn't like that in the 90s, not 90s, in the 80s, but there were a lot of moments where they would just kill a character and it would be just so, as a matter of fact, one panel, no one mourns, move on. And we see that when like Starscream gets like the underbase and stuff like that. But um, I really miss these stories, and because they they feel lighthearted, they like all of the Marvel comics up until I'd say maybe the Matrix Quest felt like they could be actual episodes of the cartoon. Yeah, and I would love to see. I would love to see IDW. Like this reading this has made me really want IDW to like go back. And uh, maybe tell stories like that. And I just now noticed that. And just now noticing that Devastator is throwing bronze colored like Ironhide.
0: <laughs> you know, I feel like, I, well, I feel and hope that this uh, Transformers G.I. Joe crossover that they announced is going to be like that.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. It looks, the, the art looks very, very much like someone not trying to be super right, detailed. Right. Like they are now, the colors are very bright in the 80s. Oh, man, I'm excited that, for that. Could that could
0: be a major win for them.
3: it's a it's an ongoing series too so i'm hoping that maybe we'll see guido pop in and do like his i love when guido does like this kind of dot matrix old style coloring to his artwork where even like the colors are kind of bleeding through the blacks. (laughs) oh god it's brilliant i love those i've only recently discovered how how he does it well not how he does it how to do it Photoshop actually has a halftone pattern filter that I've seen 50,000 times that I've kind of ignored. You have to fiddle around with the settings, but you get a really nice result from it.
1: All right. So I think that'll wrap up our classic review. And as always, uh, don't forget to check out Yoshi's review on his blog. So he's been uh, writing blog reviews on uh, just summarizing each issue for the last uh, last few months. So be sure to check that out and get more of his thoughts.
0: Cause I have some.
1: (laughs) All right. So that'll wrap up our, our comics uh, section and we're going to move on to trips to the store. So we're going to talk about uh, anything transformers related. We've picked up recently and we'll let our guests uh, go first. So Josh, uh, what have you picked up recently in the world of transformers? Um,
3: I've purchased the uh the wave, the generations wave of IDW Transformers that recently came out a while ago, but I've only recently opened. Uh, not, yeah, I purchased them a while ago, but I've only recently opened them up, and I'm really happy I, uh, that that I bought them because they're all such fun figures. Uh, Bumblebee, of course, I'm loving the most. I really wish Megatron was a Voyager. I really hope that we see a Voyager Megatron sometime down the line, but they're all really great. They're really. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with them.
1: So what's your second favorite, uh, if we if we eliminate Bumblebee from the equation?
3: Oh, uh, definitely um, Trail Cutter. Trail Cutter, his transformation is, I'm, I'm, he's one of the ones that I have right next to my, uh, my tablet because I keep transforming him all the time. Uh, I, I hate the, the little hood piece. Almost every time I transform him, I at one point knocked it in and then I have to pop his arms out just to push it back up. But um, I'm really loving uh, Trail Cutter, and I need to get another one uh, since it's based on Alex's design. From, uh, from More Than meets to DI, the, the robot mode. I need to get him to sign that one.
2: Oh, awesome. All right, Daryl, what have you picked up? Well, I went uh, and picked up Generations Sandstorm. I was able to find that at uh, the store and got it on sale. Toys R Us had a sale, and I got a pretty good deal on it. So this is based on the Springer mold, and it's, uh, it's a really good figure. I actually really, really like this figure a lot. It's got a, enough extra stuff on it to make it, Literally its own, its own figure. You, you really, if you didn't already have Springer and you just went out and got Sandstorm, you really wouldn't, uh, wouldn't think that this was a remold. I mean, you, you'd look at this and, and think this was a really cool figure all on its own. And then by getting Springer afterwards, you, you'd have a hard time seeing that these guys were the same figure. Sandstorm's got so much extra stuff on him. He's uh, he's he is really really actually a very cool cool figure. All this extra stuff when he's in robot mode though gives him a really top heavy feel though and uh and he he's he falls over quite a lot. You got to get him in a really strong stance to uh, make sure he doesn't fall over. But I, and I also picked up uh, Regeneration One, uh, number ninety-five, at the at the bookstore. I actually took my uh, my four-year-old daughter with me today. I held up uh, held up the retro cover and I held up the modern cover and I said, "Which one do you like better?" And uh, she picked uh, the Guido retro cover. She goes uh, she goes old school for me.
0: You have raised a great child. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Clearly, you have superior parenting
1: skills. There, yes, that's that's right. I'm the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, so Jeremy, have you got anything this week?
4: I have gotten nothing this week, other than the digital copy of Regeneration One. That's it. Hey,
1: you know we're not made out of money, so you can you can have a couple weeks where you don't pick up anything.
4: Yeah, I'm hoping to get those generations figures because they're really i mean every every time we hear about him, people just seem to love him,
2: so yeah. I want to think you can about avoid him. bumblebee. he's garbage <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Josh. you're funny daryl
3: <laughs> Daryl. Dar- we want Josh to come back on the show <laughs> at some point no he's creating he's creating the the drama we need for me to return, all like Ricky Lake style. that's right like, you ain't you
1: don't know me, you don't know me, <laughs> you are not the father. <laughs> All right, Yossi, uh, what have you picked up?
0: Let me – I feel like this should be a, a PSA about staying off at eBay because eBay is not anybody's friend. But uh, I, I check it religiously, and uh, I just got in some buttons I ordered. It was uh, 15 buttons, all with different G1 Transformers logos or, or Transformers on them. And uh, I also found for $30 bucks, uh, the entire run of Generation 2. And I thought that was a pretty good price, so I grabbed that. So now I've got two runs of Generation 2. And uh, they were in really good condition. And, uh, you know, just scour eBay. There's some finds out there if you know how to look. Great. Yeah. What about you, Charles? Did you get anything?
1: Yeah, so it it was a light week for me as well. So I only picked up a physical copy of Regeneration 1, number 95. So I also got the retro uh, Guido Guidi cover. So I'm enjoying that. And... Uh, but that's that's about all for me. So just one one trip to the comic book store this week. Cool. All right, uh, that'll end our trips to the store segment. I think we're going to wrap up the episode here. So just uh, one note. Uh, so now there's a new way you can find our episode online. So Jeremy, why don't you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, Transmissions is now on Stitcher. So if you have the Stitcher app for your smartphone, I think they have on on all the, the big popular platforms. And then also you can go to Stitcher stitcher.com and you can listen online. Just search for transmissions and we will come up and um, you can just listen there without having to to download the whole episode like you do with most podcasts. Are they able to on. rate
0: us and give us five-star ratings and great reviews?
4: I'm not sure at that point yet, but um, if you do get us through iTunes, feel free to go and give us a five-star review. We'd appreciate it.
1: And also like us on Facebook as well. We're trying to increase our visibility and helping us out on social media will help us do that. So please, uh, please help us out if you can. All right. uh, I think that'll wrap up the episode. So again, a huge thanks to Josh Perez for uh, spending time with us this week. Uh, We really appreciate it.
3: Yeah.
0: Thanks for
1: coming. Uh,
3: The the pleasure, the pleasure is is only mine. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Only mine. I should, I should. So thank you guys, cause this has gotta be hell to go back and read. <laughs> that's that's Charles. He's gonna do that. But this but this is a lot of fun, man. Yep. This is a fun podcast and I would certainly hope that you could grab that you can grab other IDW guys and other industry folks. That's that's up to you now. You gotta put the word out that, that we're cool.
2: <laughs> All right.
4: Yeah. Well, we're gonna use your you and Bertram as yeah. Uh, references.
2: <laughs> yeah, do it.
1: Yeah, so it, you know, so if, uh, John Barber or James Roberts says, uh, I don't know about these guys, what do you think? So be sure to give us the thumbs up. Mm-hmm.
3: I feel like the majority of the Transformer crew, uh, has a combination of, like, J's or P's in their name. now, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just now realizing this. J, P's and B's, and in some case, all three. Yeah, that's. <laughs> Alex that's Milne. Nope, No. Nope. Ah damn. <laughs> Andrew Griffith also brings it. And Guido Guidi. <laughs> this is ruining it. But we have James Simon, Roberts, John Barber, well, John Paul Bave, Priscilla, uh, you, you
4: need to um come up with names that match your you know your format. There you go.
3: Alex's Alex, new Alex name Griffiths. is Jalix. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Alright, and on that note, <laughs> we'll say goodbye for this week and please come back and listen again. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. We'll
2: talk you. to you Bye. later.
0: Thanks for picking up our transmission. Give us feedback on our website at www.transmissionspodcast.com where you can find all of our contact info on social media and links to all of our show notes discussed in each episode. You can also email us directly at feedback transmissionspodcast.com